For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. It's an astonishing story making the inside pages of The Mirror this morning where they're saying there's now 187,803 uninsured drivers on the Irish roads. If they know that there's 187,803, and that's a pretty exact figure, why don't they go after them if they can count them? Sure, if they can count them, they must know where they are. But it's almost like one in ten cars now on Irish roads. Um, it's something in the region of 8.5%, but climbing all of the time. So it won't be long before we're at a figure of one in ten cars on Irish roads uninsured. I'm sure there's quite an amount of different reasons as to why. I wonder whether there's anything to do with cost of living increases and just not being able to afford car insurance and taking a chance at the same time. But with regards to cost of living stories, the Independent this morning leads with the first of the energy suppliers to offer a price reduction to customers. And this pin, this is Pinergy. They've broken ranks and are delivering a price reduction of just over 7% from the end of next month. Now, usually, like, I don't know whether you saw it, but it was reading over the weekend. The cost of um, wholesale gas and electricity has plunged back to levels before the Russian invasion of Ukraine. So we're right back to pre-Ukraine um, prices. But yet they're saying, ah, oh, it's going to be a while though before you're going to see it at the pumps or before you're going to see it in your boiler or whatever the case may be or your home bills because a lot of companies have kind of bought ahead. So we always hear that kind of a story. And if it's true, hopefully at some stage we'll start to see a drop. But don't you think that when one electricity company breaks ranks, and in this case, Penergy, others are destined to follow because it put pressure on all of the other providers. So that's got to be good news. At a time when the Independent this morning is saying that one in 10 children are living at homes now where parents can't afford to keep the children or the homes well, same thing really, warm, as in they have the heating down or they have it off. It's a case of do we eat or do we stay warm? Uh, and another an alarming story that really affects people um, with regards to their own children uh, when those children need extra help, care and attention. And it's a front page on the Echo today with the headline, No Places in School. Would you believe that a Cork family uh, whose dad, Derry O'Brien, makes the front of the Echo today, his son Jack is non-verbal, currently attending the Shine Centre in Carrigaline, but the uh, clock is ticking now because he needs to move on to primary school this September. Would you believe that they have applied to 12 different schools and they've been refused by 10 and they're still waiting on a reply from the other two? So talk about being in limbo. 10 different schools refused their son a place. Why? Because they don't have enough places. That's the simple reason. So that's a, a typical example of the worry that families go through. And in that case, uh, the O'Brien family. Um, the star that's been very much in the news recently uh, for uh, this GAA legend and the allegations of you know, uh, fraud and tapping people for money... Um, Jumbo Kearns in all of the red tops today continues to drill into this story. He says that this GA legend who's being investigated by Gardaí for fraud hasn't worked in years. He says that a number of close friends say he was funding his lavish lifestyle with money he raised under alleged false pretenses to pay for cancer treatment that he never actually had. It's a fairly heavy-hitting article and talks with a lot of former friends and indeed those, I suppose, that allegedly gave the GAA legend money. Uh, some of them uh, gave uh, amounts that ranged between 100 and 150,000. Uh, he lived in the lap of luxury with homes at the poshest addresses in Ireland. The star funded his lifestyle for the last 10 years 
with the money he received from other people. Uh, although he had no cancer, and sometimes when he was posting uh, that he was in America going through cancer treatment, he was actually playing golf uh, here in Ireland. So that story and the guard investigation continues. There's a lot of other guard investigations that uh, led to people in court. Uh, see the court reports from Friday where a judge compared a guy to uh, the Tasmanian devil. Now, uh, the individual involved, a fellow called Jerry Foley, was doing a video link from Cork Prison, um, and uh, he got a fairly hefty sentence for loads and loads of different issues. And that's why the judge referred to him as a Tasmanian devil, causing chaos all over Cork. Uh, at one stage, apparently, he was walking through the city centre with an ornamental tiger under his arm. But he got two months shy of the maximum sentence of two years that the judge could impose. And at one stage, Foley said to the judge in the video link, Your Honour, suspend a bit of the sentence. I don't think you're being fair to me at all. I think you're prejudiced against my family. Now, the judge dropped uh, two months off the uh, the sentence and Foley said, thanks for the two months. I'll be back before you again. And his history actually was outlined in court. And just to give you a, a quick little look at uh, kind of some of the things that he was up to. Erwin's uh, Pharmacy on Shandon Street shoplifting. South Douglas Road into a private home. Uh, from there then, another burglary of a car on the, Me- on the, Me- on the Melbourne Road in Bishopstown. Then over to Home Centre on the Grand Parade, all of these on different dates. In fact, it was in Home Sense on the Grand Parade that he got the statue of the little tiger uh, and then paraded it down the streets with it under his arm. Shoplifting at JD Sports. JD Sports very much in the news over the past week or 10 days because of their security policies with staff. But he was caught in there shoplifting from JD Sports. From there then over to Ovens where he was interfering with the car outside of a house and then a bit of shoplifting in Tesco in Wilton and then into the all-care night, all-care, all-late-night pharmacy and then another car over in Coach Street in August and stuff like that. It goes on and on and on, a lengthy list. He'd be cooling his heels. He's cooling his heels already inside in Cork Prison, but for another bit. Um, I don't know whether you saw the video footage that's been shared of the CCTV from outside and inside uh, the Centra on uh, Victoria Cross, but many of the papers pick up on it uh, this morning and their online editions over the weekend. Um, the examiner this morning described the scene after the car smashed into the front of the shop as like a bomb site. This is a supermarket where the owner, Ger Hennessy, has been telling the examiner um, that it could have been an awful lot worse because uh, it was during Rag Week, the end of Rag Week, and students could still have been walking home in the early hours of the morning. I mean, it was incredible. If you see the video footage, you see the car travelling at such speed that it mounted the footpath, right? Blew down the protective bollards that are installed to stop ram raids, um, and then continued right through uh, the plate glass doors and into the shop. It then, um, incredibly, the car then reverses out of the supermarket and drives off. Now, that's all very well, but uh, the car was then abandoned a short distance away. But by all accounts, um, I think one of, I don't know if it was the front or the back registration plate was found inside the premises. And the car had been reported stolen. So it was a stolen car. So that's a serious investigation from a guard Chicago. And you know what? He's absolutely right, Joe Hennessy, because it could have been an awful lot worse. Bad and all as it is for his business and everybody's thinking of him. And he's, got a, he's been running around since, apparently, trying to get everything that's needed to put the shop back together again. Um, um, internationally, of course, uh, over the weekend, the story broke of David O'Connell, born in Glanmire, um, shot dead at the weekend in uh, America at the age of 69. And this is a story out of Los Angeles. The front pager making the mirror today. Irish bishop shot dead. Murder probe now. He was known as the peacemaker. We'll have more on this story in a, in a few minutes' time. And if you, um, if you ever have grief from your bank, 
Like, for instance, if you go into the red and you start getting texts or you start getting red letters or they even pick up the phone and start ringing you because you're a few bob in the red and then they start charging you interest on it, uh, you probably would be very annoyed at the amount of people who are having debt written off, pretty much written off by the banks. There isn't a week goes by that we don't hear of another jaw-dropping amount of money. Uh, And the latest one now is an AIB settlement uh, where they wrote off nine and a half million euro worth of debt um, and for the former GAA star DJ Carey. 99% of his multi-million euro debt has been written off by the bank. Uh, and he's in the hole for 60 grand and the bank have written off the other nine and a half million. I mean, wouldn't that really annoy you considering how banks then go after everybody else? There's nothing illegal about it. All of these things can be done. You can get personal insolvency practitioners to do all of this work for you. And the banks then, I suppose they think, so there's nothing in it. We're not going to get anything. We might as well just write it off. And so they do. So many people are very annoyed about this. And in fact, AIB should be quizzed um, in the doll by, um, I suppose, what, another committee? Um, but the majority state-owned bank, which was bailed out by the taxpayer, should be grilled by the finance committee, according to TDs in the doll. The headline in the mail this morning says, AIB must be quizzed over DJ Carey's €9.5 million euro debt deal. Actually, since that story um, broke, I actually received an email from somebody who's livid over it because they themselves have experiences with the bank in the past. And I'll read that out a little later on. Staying with our politicians. Uh, This one kind of got half buried away at the weekend, but the Green Party leader, Eamon Ryan, is hiring an assistant for one of his special advisors. (laughs) It's an assistant for the special advisor who's the special advisor to the Green Minister. Um, That will bring his number of advisors and assistants to 10. He has 10 aides now. (laughs) I mean, you might say, "Ah, well, no, he's got two portfolios. He's got environment and transport. But would you give me a break? He's got 10 of them now. I mean, (laughs) how come we put up with this? I really don't get it. Sadly, the story about missing um, Nicola Bully um, took a turn for the worst yesterday when a body was found about a mile from where she vanished. Um, And they are still, even as we speak this morning, they still haven't given um, uh, any indication as to whether it is Nicola Bully or not, at least from when I was coming on the air. They hadn't said um, it was. It was a couple of walkers with their dog. Apparently, made the dr- the grim discovery. An awful lot of criticism of that police investigation, but many of the papers have it today, including the front of the UK Times. Body found a mile from where Bully vanished. But what what really is annoying is the amount of people and all of their crackpot theories and people descending upon the scene and taking videos and selfies on the bench where uh, Nicola Bully last sat and things like that. These armchair detectives and the UK Times hones in on that in quite some detail today. Meanwhile, of course, uh, there's a double page spread in the sun this morning. Uh, Drug dealers now are working flat out. They have never been so busy and they are in everybody's eye um, because they're so brazen now with their drug dealing. And a double page spread in the sun this morning gives examples of that, like drug dealing taking place directly outside businesses, directly outside blocks of flats, directly outside Lewis um, stops and bus stops and all sorts of stuff like that. Um, And uh, 
it just goes from bad to worse and it's a lengthy story that makes with photographs actually and I'm not talking about by night it's broad daylight they're that brazen now and they were never ever busier uh, and I also noticed that the Lord Mayor of Cork who's away at the moment so I can't talk to her uh, Deirdre Ford apparently she was on uh, RTE at the back end of last week where she says she doesn't feel safe walking the streets of the city at night due to the increase in assaults and anti-social behaviour and uh, you may have heard in the news there I'm quite sure you did um, tomorrow is Pancake Tuesday we'll have more on that uh, maybe later on today but certainly tomorrow as to where the best pancakes can be got and how the best pancake can be made but the story is don't don't be dumping unused batter down the sink or the drain because plumbers are saying that it will absolutely clog everything up and ultimately will cost you a fortune um, and there's a really I mean maybe it's my sense of humour but apparently in America right there was this uh, exhibition in Miami and all of these different pieces of art were up on these little plinths you know the small little plinths and the piece of art goes up on it and one of them by all accounts was an electric blue balloon dog do you know if you go on your hollybops and you're away or whatever you go to a party or a kids party and you can make different animals and shapes out of balloons well that's what one of them was it was electric blue it was um, a balloon dog um, and it was worth apparently 42,000 Euro dollars. So somebody who was at the exhibition thought that it was actually made out of balloons. So prodded it. Yeah. So the kind of thing that I would most definitely do. Prodded it up on the, the plinth. Just gave it a little poke. Except that it was made of porcelain. Um, it looked like uh, as if it was made from balloons. And you can guess what happened next. It tumbled from the plinth and it shattered into tiny little pieces on the ground. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I've done things like that. I really and truly have in the past. Um, I don't know who picks up the tab for it, but apparently everybody was looking on in horror at this electric blue dog, balloon dog, not made out of balloons. It didn't bounce off the ground. It shattered off the ground. And then one I'll come back to later on is the rewriting of Roald Dahl's books to a move, what they call offensive language and Puffin has hired sensitivity readers to literally rewrite chunks of all of his books so that they continue to be enjoyed today. I thought they were still being enjoyed today. Yes, but you can't have the word fat in there anymore. You can't have the word ugly in there anymore. You can't have the word beastly in there anymore. So they've taken all of those out. And that's just for started starters. Uh, apparently they have also added and and look that's fine. It's the way it's going. That's fine. Miss Trunchbull in Matilda, once was known as the most formidable female, has now been changed to the most formidable woman. And they've added gender neutral terms as well through all of the books. Like, for an example, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory's Oompa Lumpas were called small men. They are henceforth known as small people. And of course, we had uh, good success at the BAFTAs last night for the Banshees of Inishirin, scooping four different awards. And those awards were Best Supporting Actress for Kerry Condon, Best Supporting Actor for Barry Keoghan, uh, Best Original Screenplay for Martin McDonough. And the one that got us kind of slightly out of kilter is outstanding British film for the Banshees of Inishirin. Um, so it was good. Uh, Colin Farrell got nothing and many people were surprised at that. Uh, they say in the papers this morning that he was gobsmacked when he was pipped uh, to the best actor gong by the Elvis star Austin Butler. But what about those that did get awards? First up, Barry Keoghan. I'm going to fly through this because I'm quite nervous. Um, Martin, Colin, Brendan, Kerry, 
the cast, the crew, the producers, um, Fox Searchlight, Ireland, Brando. This is for my son as well, Brando, for my mother, um, and also for the kids that are dreaming to, to be something from, from the area that I came from. This is for you. So. I won't say anything about it, but his performance, if you still haven't seen it, would you ever get on with it and get seen, get it seen? But uh, he was incredible in it, Barry Keown. And then, of course, for um, her own award, Best Actress, Kerry Condon. Oh, my God. Thanks a million. Really, this means so much to me, really. Um, I have to thank Sir Alan Parker, who gave me my very first job when I was 16 years old. Um, and then I have to thank Martin... Um, thank you for this part, Martin, and thank you for all the parts that you've given me throughout my career. They make me feel so proud to be an Irish woman. So thank you so much. Thank you. Um, the, um, the crew, because it's one of the best parts of our job is the crew, working with the crews, I think, and, and an amazing cast, lads. Thank you so much. You were so kind and generous to me. Thank you so much. Really, Colin, Brendan, thank you very much. Um, I have to thank my family in Ireland. They were always at the other end of a phone for me all through the years, keeping me company. I love you so much. Thank you. Um, and I have to thank my horses and my dogs because <laughs> they showed me so much love and gave me so much meaning in my life. Um, thank you. I'm really, really grateful. Thanks a million. Well said. Horses, dogs and Jenny the donkey. Now, of course, All Quiet and the Western Front scooped a heck of a lot of awards. Unfortunately, Colleen Kewen didn't. But just a final word on this. I was really impressed by Brendan Gleeson and Paul Meskel uh, who showed their abilities as as they were speaking to Unnuacht on the red carpet. It was a great thing to hear and watch. I felt very proud. All right. Don't know what's the story going to be for the Oscars, uh, if the BAFTAs are any kind of indication going forward, but four is a pretty good haul by any standard. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. And straight back to uh, one of the stories in the papers this morning, the killing of David O'Connell at the age of 69 in the United States of America in Los Angeles. He was known as the peacemaker and was born and reared in Glanmire. Barry, Barry Road, Southern correspondent with the Irish, uh, Irish uh, Times, has the backstory on this one. Barry, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you doing? Um, I'm well, thank you. Uh, tell us about David O'Connell, particularly the Cork Connection. Yes, Neil, a tragic story emerging from America, um, USA, on Saturday night, I suppose, breaking here yesterday. I got a text from somebody who sent me a link to this Los Angeles Times report on it. Uh, Bishop David O'Connell, Bishop Davis, he's known, he was from Brook Lodge in Glenmire, um, and he studied at All Hallows College in Dublin and was ordained a priest there. And apparently the pattern is that a lot of American bishops come over, or used to come over there when there were a lot of students there, and they'd recruit, as it were, for their diocese. And he went to Los Angeles 45 years ago. Long time ago. Long time ago. 79, and I think. specifically asked to start a minister in 
uh, underprivileged um, disadvantaged communities with uh, immigrants and he was working in a lot of really tough uh, parishes. I see where he's in a parish called St. Michael's, which apparently at one stage in the 1990s had one of the highest death rates in Los Angeles and it was so violent crime was so high there that it was called Death Valley. Uh, and he worked there amongst the, the poor and disadvantaged and was a real advocate for them. And apparently after the 1992 Los Angeles riots, where if you remember Rodney King was beaten up by uh, police and there was a huge breakdown in law and order and a lot of mistrust of the police, he sort of worked to build that bridge of trust between the communities and the police. Is that why he was known as the peacemaker? And that, and I think he worked in, in, in what essentially South Central LA, which I gather is, is gangland territory, you know, with uh, you've obviously you've um, Hispanic, uh, black, white and um, Asian gangs there. So I think it's, it has the highest concentration of gangs in the US or had back in 2012. But he was working there and he asked to go into that community. And then when he was appointed, he was noticed by Pope Francis for his work. Was, um, made a, a, a bishop but he asked to stay in the areas I understand that he wanted to continue to minister there seems to be a hugely well regarded uh, guy um, I was reading a piece in the Los Angeles Times this morning where they spoke to one of his colleagues of Monsignor John Woolway and he said they worked together in St. Raymond's Catholic Church in Downey where uh, Bishop O'Connell organised caravans to deliver food and clothing to orphanages in Tuana in Mexico. He said he had a great sense of humour he made the priesthood fun and he recalled that uh, when they were at uh, St. Raymond's they'd often go to an Irish pub nearby and they'd have a glass of beer, a glass of Guinness rather so uh, priest Monsignor Woolway said that was their hangout and um, he seems to have been really down to earth sort of talking to um, or sorry not talking but reading accounts from uh, some of the parishioners who came and held the vigil outside his house in Hacienda Heights, they all, said, all sort of said the same thing. He was there for them at all times and very approachable and accessible. And, yeah, down to yeah. and so what, according to the LA Police Department, what, what happened on Saturday lunchtime at his home? Uh, I have to correct you there. I made the same mistake. It's not the LA Police Department. When I rang them, they told me it was LA County Sheriff. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Forgive me. So I, I, well, I, I made the same mistake. So I was referred to the LA County Sheriff's Office and they um, they had initially said uh, they didn't give out much information, but in their updated statement that they gave at about six o'clock Irish time, which I reckon will be about nine a.m. Um, on uh, Californian time, they said uh, they received a phone call at twelve fifty-seven p.m. on Saturday uh, that um, there had been an incident, a shooting incident at the fifteen hundred block on Janlu Avenue in Hacienda Heights. Um, but, and that somebody had been injured. Los Angeles County Sheriff's homicide investigators are investigating the circumstances surrounding the shooting death of Bishop David O'Connell said the incident was reported Saturday, February 18th at approximately 12.57pm on the 1500 block of Janu Avenue, Hacienda. Industry Sheriff's Station deputies responded to the location regarding a medical emergency call. When they arrived, they discovered a male adult suffered from a gunshot wound. Paramedics arrived and pronounced him dead at the scene. So there's a they confirmed uh, that there were no treated as a murder investigation. Homicide investigators were, investigators were involved in it and they appealed to the public for information. Mm. But what it doesn't tell us, of course, is who raised the alarm, uh, circumstances, was there signs of a break-in. So we know it was uh, a break-in or whether his killer may have been known to him. That's way too early. Uh, yeah, the sort of questions I'd be asking here um, of character context, I suppose, uh, you know, what is post-mortem revealed, what type of weapon was used, and so forth. We've got none of that so far, and from what I can gather, it seems to be a very controlled flow of media by the Los Angeles 
County Sheriff's Office, so I presume there'll be some update today, but really we're very much in the dark as to possible motive or possible suspects or anything like that. So it's very bare, the details that we've got, but obviously quite shocking. I see in the Los Angeles Times this morning, they're saying he lived alone there. I wasn't sure whether perhaps he had a housekeeper or mm. staff with him, but he lived on his own there. It's a quite cul-de-sac usually, apparently. Mm. Uh, I looked at it online and people may have seen um, footage on uh, television last night of the area being cordoned off. It's a huge story, obviously, in America. ABC were picking up on it, and papers and, and channels across the states were reporting. So it's quite shocking. And then, um, well, for somebody who would spend all of his life trying to quell crime and trying to keep people on the straight and narrow, to become an ultimate victim of that kind of criminality is awfully sad. Desperately sad. Desperately sad. And the Archbishop of um, Los Angeles, a man called Jose H. Gomez. Uh, he urged people to pray for Bishop O'Connell's family back in Ireland. He said, we learned this morning from the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Office that they have determined that the death of Auxiliary Bishop David O'Connell yesterday was a homicide. We're deeply disturbed yeah. and saddened by the news, he yeah. said. And then, of course, Bishop of Cork and Ross, Dr. Finton Gavin, he said uh, the news had sent uh, shockwaves across the diocese here, particularly in Clanmere, where his home parish as it were. And he said, on behalf of the priests and religious of the diocese of Cork and Ross, and on my own behalf, I wish to express my sympathies and prayerful support to the O'Connell family. Because there are many family members, aren't there? His parents, apparently, yeah, uh, and I, uh, brother. And is, is, um, his name, the brother, is, is Kieran, and I understand that uh, he has a number of nieces and nephews and was a regular visitor back here, by all accounts. He was predeceased uh, by his parents, my, my apologies, but, but lots of nieces and nephews. And Was he a regular visitor to, to Cork and Glanmire? I gather he was, but I think COVID may have sort of... Um, prevented him from travelling the last couple of years from the information I was hearing last night so but up until then I think he was regular I mean he was 60, 69 so you know he was a, a, a young man and he, even though he'd spent 49 or 45 years in the States he obviously had close ties back here and was back regularly um, the other thing that I was just when I was researching or preparing for this he's not the first Irish member of the clergy to be shot in or killed in the States and there's a sort of an interesting story emerging at the moment in Texas where Back in 1981, uh, a priest from Doon in County Limerick called Father Pat Ryan was found boned and beaten in um, in a hotel in Odessa. And there was a man convicted of that called, uh, he confessed actually, a man called Native American chap called uh, Harry James Harry Reyes. An Apache Native American made a confession that he killed Father Ryan, but he later recanted. Apparently, he was drunk at the time he made the confession. So there's a big uh, reopening of that investigation there. And I suppose the other one that people in Cork might remember was back in 2003. Uh, my colleague Olivia Keller reported on it. A Franciscan nun from Glasheen called Sister Philomena Fogarty. She was ministering in a parish in Hamilton in Georgia, and herself and another nun were abducted by this guy called uh, Adrian O'Neill Robinson and her body um, she was found dead and mutilated her body was found in the booth of a car and she was in Glasheen she was Glasheen yeah that was like in 2003 Uh, and by all accounts again a woman uh, she'd gone to school at St. Alice in Cork she really apparently talking to Olivia was speaking to some of the nuns who worked with her and she was the real driving force there in that parish was the the, 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 the engine that ran the parishes of war but that was a shocking one back in 2003 oh so those type of, that type of violence against the clergy Irish clergy working I mean not just Irish clergy obviously but there are two cases in the past uh, number of years where if uh, people have died or members of the clergy have died in the US and obviously this is going to uh, 
uh, to that tally, unfortunately. But, um, hopefully there'll be news emerging of some sort of uh, developments in the investigation. But in the meanwhile, it's very tough on the family. And the fact they're so far away as well. You know, that's the thing, of course, without a, doubt. Uh, without a doubt. And, the, and you have the time difference, even just from a reporting point of view. I mean, I was working at this about six o'clock last night and mm. I came off the phone from talking to the county sheriff's office um, to discover, of course, it was only nine o'clock there. They had just... Mm. Dark mm. work, I was thinking they had plenty, and so you're sort of working a time lag, but obviously, from the family as well, mm. in terms of getting information, that's a difficult thing for them. And whatever it is, yeah. all the way across the states, I don't know, I didn't do the, I presume it's several thousand miles anyway, at least. Mm. Okay, well, we'll have to work out and wait and see what happens with regards to as to where he will be buried and, and laid to rest, but the investigation for now is ongoing. Barry, thank you as always. We're bringing us up to date. Barry Rhodes on the correspondent with the Irish Times on the fatal shooting of the Cork-born Bishop David O'Connell in Los Angeles at the weekend. Uh, a homicide, obviously. Murder investigation underway. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. Yeah, I was talking earlier on this morning about the uh, supermarket, Centra supermarket out in Victoria Cross. And uh, I don't know if anybody has seen the pictures from inside or out or indeed some of the video footage that's circulating, but a car went right through. I mean, even the uh, the owner of the Centra was saying, thankfully, nobody was hurt or killed because it could have been students walking home at the end of rag week. We're talking about Friday night into into Saturday morning. Jar Hennessy is the owner of Centra and he's got a lot going on and uh, took some time out this morning just to chat with us. Jar, good morning. Hello, good morning, Neil. Bearing in mind that you're running around all over the place with a lot of help trying to sort out the, the store and the shop but what happened I mean you got a call in the early hours of the morning I'm sure was it yeah Saturday morning at uh, 4.15 the guards rang me to say that um, they had bad news that the shop had been rammed and so immediately we um, we came up to the shop met the guards I suppose it was a scene of carnage the whole front of the shop had been um, blown in and there was a lot of damage to the, just inside the front door the porch was gone um, but I suppose it became quickly it became obvious quickly that it wasn't um, we, we thought it was a robbery that it was a, a ramming f- for the purposes of robbery but that wasn't the case um, the car had reversed and fled the scene uh, so there was there was no robbery involved it was a a motor a motor accident it reversed out then um, it did and which is amazing it was able to. yeah 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 yeah, yeah they, they drove off but the cars located the car fairly quickly according to the examiner this morning it was a stolen car and one of the reg plates had been left inside was that the case uh, yes the um the registration plate was on the shop floor my god I'm and the car the car was reported stolen at some point but I think the, the, the guys are investigating um, it must have been driving at insane speed though insane speed literally uh, looking at the footage from, from from the road it all happened in a couple of seconds there, if anyone that knows the shop there will know the parking area there are steel bollards there are you uh, up, I mean, the, the the car forced those back and uh, drove over the bollards, right? And it, it was travelling at such speed. Then through the front of the shop, which would be all glass and steel, and literally right into the middle of the store. Yeah, yeah, it blew out the front of the shop, and it also blew out the interior doors of the porch inside. 
Um, you were saying also that it could have been an, bad enough as it is and it's a nightmare for you but there could have been people hurt or even killed and luckily that didn't happen because you were talking about rag week it was the end of rag week and sometimes students would still be heading home at that time oh absolutely I mean we're very grateful and we feel very lucky that it happened when it happened uh, Saturday morning is a quiet morning Friday morning would have been a different story you know at 4 o'clock Friday morning uh because night or rag week, a lot of students coming back from clubs, it could have been much more serious. The, the, the good part of this is that there was no one hurt, which is the main thing. Absolutely. But but I, I hear you're open again. Talk about that after you, after you yeah. looked at the site and the damage, which was extensive. What did you do? Yeah, to be honest, I, I suppose on Saturday morning when we, were, when, when we arrived, uh, we just didn't know where to start. Um, I thought we wouldn't be open for a number of days, if not a week. But um, I sent a text to uh, our uh, electrician there, Denise Boyle, from EB Home Rescue, and she contacted our brother. They were open an hour. Um, initially, we thought to be Tuesday or Wednesday before we could get it open, but they started working straight away. And herself, Michael Cunningham, there, who owns Costigans, you might know him, was a great okay. help. Yeah. Yeah, they all um, started working at around 8 o'clock and by 4 o'clock we were back open. Okay, that's an incredible achievement. Anyone that would have seen the damage at 4 o'clock wouldn't believe that we could have had it uh, open by 4. Because electrically, like, it must have been, you you must have been worried there might have been a risk. And was there water damage? Absolutely. There was no water damage, but there was electrical wires um, all over the place because the ceiling collapsed. So uh, we couldn't actually go we couldn't even go in to pick up the number plate because it could have been dangerous so Denise made the place safe um, and turned everything around but what about the front I mean it literally was completely demolished completely demolished so um, what uh, Denise and Mike done was they put a timber structure up and made it and secured the front of it it's not looking very pretty at the moment now but we're working on that well in fairness you got open again and that was the main thing again considering that nobody was injured that's first and foremost but then to get the business going again what about stock? Um, the stock was okay the stock was there was no stock damage thank God um, amazing and the fact that we were able to open at, um, at, at 4 o'clock on Saturday we didn't lose any stock we lost we lost a half day's trading but you know that was in the circumstances that was amazing turnaround incredible it must have been an awful sight that you witnessed when you arrived first you must have had a bang it was I mean literally the front of the shop was demolished um, and just inside also Um, I just looked at it and I said where do we start where do you start when when you come on a scene like that but um, people are amazing and you know we're we're very grateful to all the people who helped us Okay, reopen for business let the Gardaí get on with their investigation and I suppose they're looking at all sorts of CCTV from different areas see if they can see who was in the car was the person alone were the rosers in it or whatever the case may be that investigation is ongoing yeah it is it is it is and I'd like to thank the guards they were very helpful Okay, well you're um, back open again and that's the main thing. You're we're back open and no one was hurt so it could yeah, have been a lot worse. Yeah, and you're, you're due a lotto win now in fairness, a big lotto win. <laughs> Please guys, hopefully. <laughs> Fingers, Fingers crossed, crossed. Listen, yeah. I know it's a busy day for you, Joe, so thanks for taking the time. I no appreciate problem. It. Thanks very much. All the best. Joe Hennessy, the owner of Centra 
on Victoria Road at Victoria Cross. Uh, and good luck to them. And thankfully, they're open again. And he's right. Nobody was injured. It could have been a hell of a lot worse. And the guard investigation is ongoing. Text 0868104106. Back after the break. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818104106. Red FM. And you can pick up the phone on 0818104106. A lovely article in the Echo today by Anne Marie O'Sullivan, who talks to Ronan Leonard. He's put together a This Is Cork tour. It's entitled Cork's Many Childhoods. I'll come back to it in a few minutes' time, but it literally is a tour around the inner city. And it's a beautiful tour, and, and hopefully he'll run it across the spring and, and right into the summer. And he does things like, um, you know, I think it starts in and around the north main street and it goes over Northgate Bridge and then crosses over across the river for a Sopatanora and then up around Shandon Street towards the Firkin Crane and Shandon Bells and places like that. It's lovely. I think he's he's rewalking many of the childhood haunts where kids back in the day used to play in the middle of the city. Of course, we have a completely different city now because we have a city where the Lord Mayor, uh, Councillor Deirdre Ford, made um, an admission on this programme in the past with regards to criminality and lawlessness and law and order in Cork and recently did it again then in RT1 where she said that she does not feel safe walking the streets of the city at night due to the increase in assaults and antisocial activity. Uh, we actually drilled into it a little bit more last week following an email of a chap who was in Cork City and got quite emotional because he thought it had gone to rack and ruin what he was witnessing not just the buildings or indeed the dereliction but also the homelessness the drug dealing and just the air of gloom on Lee side. Tripe and Drasheen did a very interesting article over the weekend written by JJ O'Donoghue talking primarily uh, about Patrick Street and he joins me by phone so it's kind of a continuation of what I was talking about last week. JJ good morning Morning, Neil. Um, first of all, I don't know whether you want to talk to what the Lord Mayor has recently said, just on this programme and also on RT, where she doesn't feel safe walking the streets. Did you pick that up at all from the businesses and the retailers that you spoke to, that the footfall decline could have had anything to do with people not feeling safe? To be honest, no. Um, like, uh, the piece I did for Triple Machine was less about maybe the safety aspect uh, on St. Patrick Street. Some people did bring it up. They talked to a bus driver, all right, who spoke about how, you know, at night um, there is food drop-offs on the northern end of Patrick Street and, you know, there's people gathered there and this could lead to a bit of, like, it's more perceptions, but, like, I don't want to speak about too mm. what the mm. Councillor Deirdre Ford said. So what are their frustrations then? I mean, there's a few, I think the main things about St. Patrick Street are, the three big issues are, one is the Panaban. Two is the vacancy, the level of vacancy. Like, just about 20% of all the outlets on Patrick Street are empty. My God. And then the third is kind of what can be done to turn Patrick Street around. One in five. Um, That's very high. Yeah, it is. I mean, but there's a, there's a few reasons for that. Um, the pandemic, no doubt, is one of them. Like, there's less people working in the city or have to travel in. Um, also, like, they're, like they're, you know, they're competing with the digital economy. Um, and then there's, there's the issue of mortgages, rents and rates on Patrick Street. Um, I talked to Eddie Mullins, you might know him, he's a gent down on um, he's the managing director Fitzgerald. of Fitzgerald's Menswear. Yeah. yeah. And he's been there for years and like he said he's not in the business for money. I'm sure he is to a certain extent, but like he he cares deeply about his business and Patrick Street and also his staff. Um and I think that's one of the differences about somewhere like Fitzgerald's, which is kind of it's a small proprietary or proprietary owned business. And Cork City Council, to be fair, they have identified that is one of the strong points of Cork City Centre. It's businesses like his, like Joyce's, like Tracy's Shoes, like National ID, Miyazaki, wherever, you know, that, you know, the people who are invested in live here, 
and like they want to do good things for the city um, and it's trying to get those businesses in but like it, to be fair it's going to be very very hard for a business like that to set up on Patrick Street if you're dealing with huge rents you know yeah, okay, so you got rents, you got rates, you have the digital challenge, of course, people buying online, you have issues involving parking and the cost of parking too, while many of the suburbs, of course, have fabulous retail offers with free parking, yeah? Yeah, I mean, I mean you're, again, city centres offer something that's different to, you know, your your shopping centre or your suburban mall, and like they do have, like, they do have the free parking, they do have access to toilets, everything's under one roof, but like, what they, you know, I, I spoke that they don't maybe have the charm of a city centre, you know, where you have history, you have heritage. So that's what I think Cork City Council have identified and that's what the business owners that, you know, they need to kind of push this element. And there's a lot that they need to get right for that to happen. So you wouldn't be, you wouldn't have a Fitzgerald's opening. It opened in 1860. It wouldn't be possible for something like that to open now because the costs of Patrick Street would be prohibitive to them, is it? I mean, I, I, I imagine it would be. I mean, it, that's there so long that that's probably why they can. But like, unless you're a big international retailer, you know, like you see the brand names that have come into Patrick and a lot of them have folded as well. Um, but they're the ones who can afford it, you know. So it's happening at a level above, you know, what's happening in Cork City. Like it's being decided on international markets. They're the ones who identify something. But how are, how, like, we don't know if they're committed in the long run the same way as, say, Fitzgerald's would be to staying in Cork City and, you know, and building up a business and building up a community. So that is the difference there. And then the one other aspect that um, a lot of people talked about was, you know, like putting a bit of vibrancy back on Patrick Street. Like you kind of get that on Basically, it boils down to the bylaws. You'll see yourself on Patrick Street. At the moment, okay, the weather isn't great, but there is no outdoor dining on Patrick Street bar the Chateau, which has been there a long time before the bylaws came into effect. And on the corner, I think Geno's are allowed to do it in summer. You don't have you don't have that kind of atmosphere on Old Plunkett Street or on Princess Street where you can sit outside and yeah. have a coffee or a pint or anything. So, so is there a different bylaws to, for St. Patrick uh, Street yeah. as opposed to Oliver Plunkett Street? So Patrick Street is very, very much a kind of a retail, commercial, um, retail-oriented street. So the idea is there, it's shops, basically. Um, so, you know, everything from clothes to... There is fast food outlets there, as you know. Yeah. But none of them also have outdoor dining. Um, so, like, the people I spoke to at the Cork Business Association, um, there was, was this kind of emphasis, we would love to see outdoor dining, but we don't want it to become, like, O'Connell Street in Dublin, where it's just kind of a wash with fast food outlets and it's a different atmosphere so I'd say I, I'm willing to bet that the council will kind of look at the bylaws and maybe set up that allow for some outdoor dining but I think they want to cater to certain tastes um, and you know they have a, a, an ideal in mind now this is just me kind of this is what I think based on my report yeah I mean more of a cafe culture as opposed to a fast food culture kind of thing yes yeah. yeah, that's what they want to do. Yeah, and yeah. the other thing that, like, uh, the other thing that I spoke about in the article is, like, and I, I was only alerted to this by Brendan O'Sullivan, um, a, lect- planning, a lecturer in planning up UCC. Like, that lovely bit of heritage we have at the top of the street, it's under a vacant and derelict shop, or a vacant shop now. Where? The, um, the dog bowl by, um, it's just below Seamus the Murphy. office. Yeah, by Seamus Murphy. And, like, it's, it's been there for decades. And, like, um, as, one, as one person pointed out on Reddit Cork, Actually, a dog couldn't get up to it now because they built a window over it. But you can still see it from the street. And it's, got, it's engraved with the Irish word Madri. 
Um, and it's there, like, it's little nuggets like that which make Patrick Street stand out, like the Echo Boy, like the host that hopefully might be coming back, mm. or Mangan's Clock, which is finally being, you know, it's being restored. And I, th- I think that's where... What Patrick do they put Street, over you know, the Madri Bowl? Is, is it like a plinth to sit on or, or what? No, so there's just a wind, like there's a shop window over it now, it's a vacant shop, but um, it's just like, it's a long little bowl, like sculpted in stone, and um, there used to be a lamp come by and fill it with water and everything, but it would be very hard now for um, a dog to actually reach his head under the window. It was stolen and at one stage, wasn't it? So it, there's, a, there's a great story around that, I must, and it's something I'd love to do for Tripe and the Shape. I, we don't know whether it was stolen or whether it was removed. Um and then just put into storage. So I need that's something I need to dig into. That's why Kieran McCarthy says that it could have been cultural vandalism as yeah, opposed to I mean, theft. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> but it's there now. You can see it if you walk up. It's just it's a little bit of a sorry state. And I, and I, and I think the northern end of St. Patrick Street, you know, before St. Patrick's Bridge, that is very much a sorry state at the moment because you've had Debenhams, the Roaches building, coming up on three years, which has been vacant. Then you've had the Savoy, which has been forever just kind of, there's not nothing happening there. Although, in fairness, Mango and Flannel, two big international brand names, yeah. they're moving in yeah. where Quills is there. So, yeah. you know, there, there, there's hope. But um, I think there's there's a lot more, that, like I think visitors have said this now over the last few years, you know, coming to Cork City Centre, it just feels a little bit tired, a bit run down. Um, but I do think that, you know, Cork City Council, they're invested in getting it right. We need people to move back into the city. And I think they've identified a lot of things. And as Deirdre Ford said, crime and safety is an issue, especially more so for women. You know, they're going to have different perceptions around that. And is the Panaban uh, an issue? Uh, it is, and it is. Like, I think it is and it isn't. Um, I, I think Brendan O'Sullivan, the planner up in UCC, he made a good point. He said, like, Patrick Street can feel congested with the buses. You know, there's a lot of bus traffic on Patrick Street, which is great because it gets people right into the city centre. Like, for anyone who hasn't used the Black Ash Park and Ride Service, it's really, really efficient, cheap, and it gets you right into the city centre. But it can feel a bit congested with all the buses and the taxis. And like, I stood outside Queen's Old Castle, and I must say, like, quite a lot of people do obey the ban. Then there are plenty that don't as well, but this, it's in effect between three and half six every And day. are they fining people then who don't obey it? So, yes, in theory they are, but, like, there's not much of a guard of presence. Like, I can't say, like, all the time, but, like, while I was there anyway that day, for for the most part, there isn't, like, just not a one, Just finally, one of the upsides to it is the um, unintended consequences of the robo-trees at vast yeah. amounts of money. So, <laughs> What's the you, unintended you, consequence? You can sit on Tana, you can sit on Patrick oh. Street, and in fairness, there's these big blocks that were put down during the restoration a few years ago, or, you know, 20 years ago, when they refurbished the street, and... Um, the city council working with local partners, they've made them like functional seating now, like age friendly. So you have the trees you can sit at all around them. You have these blocks that are slowly being turned into public seating. <laughs> and like one thing that people, I put up a survey on our um, Tripe and Machines Twitter, and one thing that people would love to see more of is real trees. Real trees, that. not robo real trees. trees. <laughs> I mean, both. If we can, I mean, the real trees would be cheaper. You have to clean up after them, but hey, that's life. Um, <laughs> But yeah, if anybody wants to read that long read, it's on Tripe and Machine. Appreciate and, it. And like, I think people are definitely interested 
in the past and the future of Patrick. Okay, a there's, a full, there's a much lengthier article on Tripe and Drasheen. Thank you for that, JJ. As always, on JJ O'Donoghue from Tripe and Drasheen. You can find it on a Google search and read the entire article yourself. He speaks to an awful lot more people than the uh, stories that we could share with him this morning. I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Okay, with regards to the GAA legend that's very much making the news, there isn't a day goes by that don't get texts in saying, why don't you name and shame the GAA legend? Because you can't. For legal reasons, you cannot. Because of a guard investigation, you cannot at this stage do that. Um, and, uh, and, and it's right actually that it should be that way uh, because at this stage it's a guard investigation and these are allegations uh, just think about that if you scale it up to everybody being named for stuff that was yet to be to be proven so there'd be murder if, if, if you did now I know in the online world there is a name that's being bandied about at length but you, you can't do it in traditional media you just can't every dog in the street knows who this GAA legend is um, he should be stripped of all uh, medals, if you ask me. Well, that's, you're entitled to say that, but not to name the individual. Speaking of some, and this is all uh, like allegedly connected to looking for money for supposed cancer treatment. Speaking as someone who lost a young family member to cancer, I'm stunned that this at this so-called legend who scammed money from friends and associates uh, under the pretense that he had cancer. In my view, and I know I'll probably be rated for saying this, that legend doesn't deserve anything else. Uh, well, I won't go into detail exactly what you would like to happen to this person, but I think the point being, back to the uh, text, if you could see the suffering, the pain, the broken hearts and the roller coaster of emotion that cancer causes to the sufferers and their families, he might have a bit of compassion uh, not to be making such pretenses about having cancer. Uh, I just can't believe anyone could do this. Um, thank you. So that's an edited version of, of the text. And again, remember, I hate to sound like a broken record. These are investigations ongoing and these are allegations. Uh, I was talking about children not being able to find special places in schools. My son is attending a speech and language school in Mallow. He gets a taxi every day there and back with an escort. Last night, we received a text message saying the taxi had just been cancelled. Um, please tell me, cancelled for today, Monday, or cancelled, cancelled for good? Which? Uh, on the council, just counted 10 city council workers in the marina cutting branches off trees. One guy with an electric saw, one guy helping him, one driving a tractor and trailer, and seven standing around in hard hats chatting and pointing where to cut. It's a great country all the same, says the texter. Uh, and then, uh, I suppose, the... Um, the assistant to the advisor uh, that's being hired for Eamon Ryan, which will take his tally of advisors and assistants to 10. Somebody is suggesting that the job is to pump his bike. <laughs> the pump attendant, I suppose. Pump assistant. Um, and then the state of Cork. My main issue with the city is the Patrick Street car ban and the price of parking. It is outrageous. Marie says it was in town yesterday morning, bearing in mind Sunday morning. The smell of pee alone along by Debenhams was disgusting. I don't even think the people sleeping there there are actual genuine homeless people, says she. And one final one, Cork was a great city before the pandemic. It was electric. Now they need to put all of the shops or what's left of them uh, together. Uh, Don't have buildings falling down 
or don't have gaps, get rid of the dereliction and the empty buildings. They could group the businesses together instead. Um, it's embarrassing for anyone coming into the city with the poverty and homelessness. Cork has so much potential. It's also make it easier for businesses to rent um develop more businesses by dropping rents and rates. Oh, if it were that easy, I suppose. But I appreciate your text nonetheless. It is uh, hypocritical of the Lord Mayor because her party are the ones that allowed unknown men into the country. Uh, I fail to understand the connection here between, um, you know, her not feeling safe in Cork City Centre of a night uh, and uh, unknown men coming into the country. But nonetheless, we have 5,000 now undocumented and a lot of them coming from conflicts around the world and will have had use of firearms in the past. We only have 9,000 in the Defence Forces. Did anyone see the security risk to the state? Never mind the people from this mass intake of strangers coming in here. And that's the selection of texts to 086-8104-106. So keep those coming. Also, can I just acknowledge then the Glanmire Notice Board that were reporting at the weekend? Um, I mean, the, the cruelty of people, it, it, it just... It shocks me and shocks me on all the different levels. If it wasn't the horses and ponies last week, here's a post from the Glanmar Notice Board. This is sick and horrible, but I want to make people aware. Um, teenagers with lurchers and terriers pulled apart a cat uh, on the Glintown Road. Um, this is over the weekend. They ran when they saw me, a white terrier dog, two brown lurchers. Be careful, lads, particularly if you have dogs or cats yourself. Lurchers and terriers pulling a cat apart uh, by the old ruin on the Glintown Road over the weekend. Um, why? I mean, you got to ask yourself, uh, what's the pleasure in that? Why? Text 0868 Back to the phone lines we go. I just wanted to get an update, just following what JJ, I don't know who had to say there with regards to Tripe and Trasheen and the city centre. Frank O'Connor um, has dereliction in Cork and updates it on an ongoing basis. Does an awful lot of work, does an awful lot of walking, does a lot of videoing, posting online online the dereliction and also can I also say the empty buildings not just retail but also housing across the city and the suburbs and joins me by phone just briefly Frank good morning good morning I just I was just wondering recently while chatting there with JJ have you done any recent updates yeah well I suppose I'd be out every day to be honest um, but just just taking different parts of the city and just taking you do the watercourse road recently yeah yeah, been been on the watercourse road. Yeah, yeah. Saw the video of that. Leaves a lot to be desired, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, I mean that was. I mean that's been there a long time, hasn't it? You know, and um, we have so much commercial vacancy. Uh, I mean, we've, obviously we we have two things, haven't we? Hugely, we have a lack of housing, but yet loads of derelict houses, and we have a lack of spaces for communities and creatives, and yet we've got loads of commercial vacancy, and we really need to tackle this in a far more strategic way. It's too much of a haphazard. Now, saying that, definitely the council have become a lot more proactive. You said that since we last spoke to have, in what way? Well, they definitely seem to be going out there more, putting up this sort of the notices, you know, um, looking for owners, uh, declaring properties derelict and stuff. So that's, that's, that's positive to see that happening, you know. But obviously a lot more could happen. And uh, it's what I suppose one of the things that we've been arguing for quite a while is we really need a one-stop shop somewhere in the, in, in, in the council that people can go and get all their questions answered together. You know, and also what we need to do is we need to be far more proactive in collection of our dereliction levies because the levies could form the basis 
of creating a team who could, could go out there and do a far more advanced job in tackling vacancy in their election in the city. So they're putting and up also, signs and the clock ticks then and if nobody comes back to them they will compulsory, well, they will just, they can't buy them off someone if they can't find who they are, they just take them, is it? Well, no, I mean, <clears throat> I suppose there is a process they can go through. They actually don't need to know the owner to start the compulsory purchase process, but we haven't got enough tools in our toolbox, really. I mean, other countries have been a lot more proactive in introducing things like not just compulsory purchase, but also compulsory sales, compulsory usage, and also in turning commercial properties that are vacant, like those ones on Watercourse Road, turning those vacant properties into homes. So that should happen much quicker as well. But could you give me any example of them ever actually doing that? You mean in Ireland? No, in Cork, say, for instance, where they put up the notices, the signs, found the person, find them, or bought it compulsorily from them, turned the building around and did something with it. Is there an example of any of that? Uh, I suppose there are a few in process at the moment. I mean, there's the, the, the couple in Barrett Street which are going to, have gone through and they've been up for sale recently. So they were, I mean, it's been very slow. And then there's the ones in North Main Street. North Main Street is an example. Yeah, yeah. well, those infamous five. I mean, four of those have been gone through CPO process as well. But it's been really, really slow. But I suppose we're arguing that the CPO itself isn't enough. That in many situations, if you had compulsory sales for derelict properties, then that would bring more properties on the market. And if you had compulsory usage for for uh, vacant properties, that would bring at least bring them back into use. They're not taking the property off the owner, but at least they're giving someone a home, you know. And also, like I said, we need to be more proactive in turning commercial properties into into homes as well. And perhaps we need to look at maybe being allowed to do that without without the full throngs of going through all the planning process. The issue there is fire, though. We, we dealt with that last week, as in apartments and flats above retail in the city is being knocked back by the fire department and those that are saying, no, it, it would be a hazard to health because people wouldn't be able to get out of the upstairs apartment. Yeah, I mean, I suppose you have to look at the individual situation if that, that's the case. I mean, it's, you know, it's been managed in other places. Why can't we get around that in Cork? Why can't we actually design the buildings in such a way that they can be fire safe and also they can get people into them, you know. Well, the barbers on Marlborough Street last week said to me that they were willing to put in a fire chute, which would be a very fast and effective way of getting out of a burning building. And they were said no, they were told no. Okay, well, yeah, obviously I don't know that individual case, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's, that's, a, that's a pity. Metro man. It does, it does put people off, obviously, then going through that process and stuff, you know. I mean, there were a couple of good examples of vacant derelict buildings in um, top of uh, Shannon Street which were done up over by the last few years by, by the council and they, they've actually come back into homes but those situations about above shop and stuff uh, you know other people have managed to do it other towns and other countries and stuff have managed to turn it around have so other cities as old as Cork managed to do it? Well, I suppose you can look at somewhere like, um, well, obviously Limerick in Ireland is being a lot more proactive at the moment in terms of attacking derelictions. So they are really pushing out all the sort of all the uh, measures at the moment, and they're really going through their sort of their uh, CPO process as well. But if you go outside of Ireland, and you look at somewhere like Amsterdam, I mean, it's also a similar city on a marsh. Um, it was highly derelict and vacant back in the seventies and eighties, and they turned it around by bringing in a full toolbox of measures and working through, like I said, compulsory sales, vacancy, meanwhile use. And they have now got a city that's thriving, and obviously you wouldn't see any vacancy in dereliction in Amsterdam. So it is possible. But of course, in the Netherlands, people did go on the streets and protest, you know, so it wasn't just 
there was a lot of pressure put by citizens on on the, on the councils, on the local authorities, on, on the government to change, and they protested and protested yeah. and protested. Okay. So they really made, made the case for it. But I think sometimes in Ireland we get bogged down too much in individual cases. I think if we start out the overall system, and I think at a government level, while there is progress happening as well, as you probably know, there's new grants for dereliction and vacancy returning places around. They talk about the vacancy tax, which is a positive step forward, but it's far too low. Why do people sit on derelict properties, do you think? I suppose a variety of reasons. Um, There is money to be made in dereliction, uh, surprisingly enough. Um, So there there is that reason. There can be genuine circumstances, but but definitely there is money. How how is there money to be made in a derelict building that could fall down? For, for some of our studies there, we found that some of the derelict properties have gone up, up to very small houses now. I mean, this is a small terrace house, but would have gone up 20,000 a year by just letting it there, you know. So, And then, obviously, in many situations, you'll see it across Cork that uh, the roofs can be removed or the windows can be taken out, and that speeds up the decaying process. And the land then is often more valuable than having the property there itself. Because if the property's there, and if it's an interesting old property, then sometimes the, the owner will have to be obviously protective to, to re- restore it, refurbish it, which is the best route because the most sustainable building is existing. But obviously when you start taking off the roof and the windows, the property decays, and it ends then coming onto the street. And yeah. what you have is the site as well. And for a lot of people, what they want is the site and not the building. And uh, we see that all the time. I and mean, you can walk around Cork yourself and you'll see that where there's bits of roofs and bits of windows meeting, uh, mixing. And because we've been doing this for quite a long time now, we've been, we've been able to see it historically over the last four or five So that would years. be, d- d- those kind of properties would be both residential and retail? Where that carry on? Any, yeah, they could be. They could be like a. They could be like a pub, or it could be like a home, or it could be a shop. It could be a mix of things, really. You know. But I suppose the site value can be more important, or I suppose higher, if you like, than the, the, the property itself. And obviously, people were, if you can afford to, because really, dereliction is a, is a, an issue of the rich. You know, it's not like a a poor person is going to be sitting on lots of derelict properties. It's the rich person is sitting on the derelict properties, and so for them, they can afford to let it decay without sort of I suppose taking into consideration I see what you mean yeah it's actually better than it's actually better than money in the bank where you'll make no money you can speculate better by just letting it sit there you would you would you see and of course really I suppose what should happen there is the overall cost should come in you know the impact on the street the impact on people getting a home the the friendliness of the neighbour and your social behaviour you know yourself there's a big list of things related to dereliction and stuff so that's a big issue and I suppose Look, it's hard to turn the ship around when you're going in a direction that we have been going for so long. And I, mean, I suppose we only started this in June 2020. And there's a lot of changes happening already. And I suppose the campaign will go on because we need more to happen. But I suppose, you know, it's like it's hard to break those old habits. And we need to, this requires not just a change in policy at a national level. It requires all the local authorities to work together. Because what you'll find is if you're in Cork or Limerick or Galway or whatever, they'll all be doing it differently. You know, yeah. so we should have a coordinated approach across the country, a much bigger toolbox of measures. And then obviously what we need to look at how we can influence on a cultural level, get people to not accept. I mean, it's been normalized for so long, but we have to accept that this isn't this isn't good for anyone. I mean, who benefits from this really? Well, like, when, I mean, when when the when the like right up at the top, it's the council are one of the gr- biggest when you talk about being bad landlords or even slum landlords, the ones that are sitting on more property than anybody and not turning well, them around. 
See? Well, I mean, there is, I suppose, a mix of people, really. You know, you've got the private, you've got the public, you've got the people like the universities who are sitting on them, you've got the HSC, you know, you've got OPW, yes, you've got the council, but but a lot of their kind of, uh, what they call the voids, there's a lot of those which are long-term empty. I mean, you know, we've seen council homes which have been empty for two or three or four years, like, you're like, why? Like, So the HSC so, and UCC also have a number of properties that, they do, yeah. that so just are just... Why are they sitting on them? Again, I suppose there's probably... Everyone will argue that there's plans, you know. Um, but I suppose what we would say is, you know, again, we've looked at a lot of best practice in other countries. We've looked at Denmark and stuff. And a lot of times there will be plans. But in the meantime, you've got a building that could be used. And in many cases, the buildings could be used. And if they were used, then obviously you could solve a lot of issues as well. And often the plans that are in place could be 5, 10 years, 15 years. Oh, I understand long. that, but it's just not private people speculating then, it's state institutions as oh, well. Oh, it is as well, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely, there's a lot of that, and we hear a lot of that from, not just Cork, because our walk obviously spreads across the country, we hear stories all the time from right across Ireland, where it's maybe state-owned or a public, or sorry, yeah, public body-owned, you know, so it's not just the private owners, and then of course some land will be owned by large developers, so you've got a mix of actors involved, so really we need but a very proactive government approach to it and I suppose really as we've seen ourselves over the years a lot of government people will will also have best interest because they may be property owners as well you but, know? So, but all those so, first floor and second floor finally and third floor um, levels above the shops inside the cities, do you ever see a time when they'll be really really smart and lovely apartments and flats oh, and bedsits? I just can't wait for that to be but the But do case. you see it happening though? I have to believe it can happen. I have to hope it can. You know, I, I think if you've got to look at this here, right? You know, if you look at global trends, we're all moving back into cities and urban environments, you know, whether it's to do with car usage or just the wider sustainability. So cities will grow and grow and towns and stuff. So for somewhere like Cork, right, people forget Cork. Cork people love Cork, but it's an amazing city in terms of architecture as well. So I, yes, I, I do see a future where those buildings will be once again populated by people, families and stuff. And you will again, once again, have people like uh, Christy Ringking hurling on the streets, you know? I mean, <laughs> well, that's, the, that's, the, that's, the, that's the way I see it. And I can see it going that way. Yes, there'll be a lot of resistance on the way, but it, it's possible to do it. And I say, just go to Amsterdam and see where, and we have pictures of where Amsterdam was like back in the 70s and what it's like now, you know? So, look, if there's a will, you know yourself, if there's a will, there's a way. And I think Cork City deserves, and its people, deserves so much better than we're getting at the moment. All right. And no one should be without a home in Cork. Okay. No one. Okay. Thanks, Frank, as always. Do stay in touch. And well done on the continuing work that you do. Frank O'Connor with Derelict Ireland. He does it with uh, Jude Cherry. And that's why there's a lovely article in The Echo today where they talk of Ronan Leonard, who's doing the This Is Cork tour. It's called Cork's Many Childhoods. And to some extent, he's actually talking about what Frank just spoke about back in the day when kids lived lived in the city and lived in the adjoining streets all over the city. Now, I, I get it that a lot of the time it was tenement buildings and what have you and the, and the situation was far from ideal, but they played on the streets of Cork City. Mind you, how's that going to happen if we're to believe what the Lord Mayor is saying? And she said it now more than once that she doesn't feel safe walking the streets of the city at night because of assaults, antisocial activity, drug dealing, drug taking, and of course the brazenness of the selling drugs openly in all of our streets in the city. Um, it's kind of ironic that this would be coming from a politician uh, whose party is actually in government, but actually it's a point that John O'Donovan wanted to pick up on. John, good morning. 
Morning, how are you? So it, it annoys you what she's saying, is it? Well, I'm responding to what I would call uh, the most hysterical outburst of any Lord Mayor in my lifetime in this city. I mean, this is the first citizen, and she's also an elected councillor, so she comes from within the people. She's elected by the people of Cork. And to go on TV... Uh, and no, to go on she's re- not elected as first citizen. You're not saying she was elected as first citizen, are you? No, oh. she's elected as a councillor. As a councillor, she okay. becomes Lord Mayor okay. then, right? Okay. okay, But the thing is, like, she's elected, like, I mean, even though not to Lord Mayor, but that's how she became Lord Mayor. And I, I never remember in all my time any Lord Mayor, any first citizen, right, giving such a hysterical outburst. Does she realise the damage that she's doing to people coming here to stay in B&Bs and hotels and to spend time in our beautiful city here? We need people to come to support the city to keep the economy going, the daytime economy and the nighttime economy. Now, the hysterical part of it, this woman, Deirdre Ford, the first citizen belongs to the Fine Gael party, new mm. right? Mm. The Fine Gael party, last time I looked, right, was led by one, Leo Varadkar, who is now the tarnished, uh, the T-shirt of this country, the Prime Minister of Ireland at the moment, right? She can pick up that phone to the leader of her party, who is the Prime Minister of this country, and demand that she wants get more Gardaí for Cork City. She also has the ear of the coalition partner, one Michal Martin, who five minutes ago was also the teacher of this country and done nothing as the girls getting more girls on the streets and he living in Cork, right? Mm. Have a rack of dozen this year. Mm. But the way she she's did, she did across, say, though, on a number of occasions that there are far too few Gardaí in the city centre compared to uh, the way you like, she even I even did comparisons last week with regards to the amount of guards we have now and 10 years ago and in many parts of the city the barracks and stations have had less guardian. She said she, that. She, she has the ear, as I said. She's speaking like that she's in opposition. She's part of the Fine Gael machine. She has the ear of the Prime Minister of the country. She's on about having a meeting with Drew Harris, the Commissioner. Drew Harris, like the last time I looked like, wasn't elected by the public. He was appointed, right? He's a civil servant. And she's the Lord Mayor, should demand... She said she has requested a meeting, but she hasn't responded to yes. But she should demand as a first citizen, and with the help of Leo Varadkar and Simon Harris, the, the, the Minister for Justice at the moment, who's standing but she's in still in, No, you've said that, but she's still entitled to say how she feels, or how any woman feels. She says there isn't a woman in Ireland who doesn't feel this way, depending on the day or the hour that they're out, she said. That they don't but feel see, safe. But the, the, the problem, you see, by she's saying this, that she's admitting there's a breakdown in law and order. Her party are in government. So therefore, it's incumbent on them to make sure we haven't got a breakdown in law and order. And she should be insisting that to have us give him a date. Don't mind saying, when are you available, Mr. Commissioner, sir? He was in Cork. He was down in Cork. There's a full page in the Echo this morning for the Cork Garda Division Centenary Ball. And Drew Harris yeah, was she, down. So why didn't they organise some meetings when he was down? Well, but apparently she has said, look, you mean that that wasn't the time and that wasn't the place at the sit-down meeting. So I know it's not, you, a, not at the Centenary Ball, but he was in Cork. Yeah. Couldn't they use the time then at some stage? But you, see, but you see, this is the problem. He was able to come for a ball. But why not say the date now for him and the Justice Minister, right, and the teacher of this country, to come to Cork, demand... Don't mind going on hysterics. I mean, you're saying, oh, we should have this, we should have that. Oh, I don't feel safe walking the street. Set a date 
and demand that these people, they're public servants, you come to Cork, Mr. Drew, have a commissioner, sir, May- and you have a sit-down meeting. But maybe by saying what you said, it will poke the bear when you have the first citizen like the Lord Mayor saying um, that I don't feel safe in certain parts of the city centre, particularly at night. Maybe people will now sit up and take notice. Well, you see, as I said, it, it can do damage to tourism coming to the city, but I don't think they're going to hear blind bit of notice of the other four in the Fine Gael party or Fianna Fáil or the Greens either. They're hell-bent and other agendas. and It's amazing there that if there was a protest broke out, we'd say Fardish Water, which you covered with us there before. If Fardish Water rolled into the Lake of Belfihan or the north side this morning, I started installing meters again. And the, the people came out and said, we don't, we're not going to understand. We don't want this again. There will be guards appear from everywhere. And if there's a protest for anything else around the place, there's always guards available. But it's amazing there's no guards. I've never seen the like of it at this stage now, really, right? that there is no girls in town anymore. There is, there, there is, there is, and a lot of them are undercover. There is, because I see them. And you but can, you see the, the, and, and the, only because I know some of them, I know what they're yeah. doing, but they're in plain clothes and they're yeah, amongst... Well, well, the, the, that's the, the only way you're going to get these dealers is by taking off the uniform. And, and they are taking off the uniforms and they're undercover. Yeah, but you also need uniform Gardaí as well out there. Like, you really do. Like, you have to have the presence of the yellow jackets on the streets as well to make pe- people feel safe. We don't know the undercover guys, right? But people feel safe when they see the yellow jackets. And they're not feeling safe now. And that's down to the Lord Mayor and her party and Michal Martin. They're letting this city, this beautiful city of us, as they say in song, they're letting beautiful city by the lead down big time. Okay, thank you for that. I'll talk with the Lord Mayor again when she returns from uh, an overseas trip. I think she's in in Germany, in Bremen, in Germany at the moment. Uh, Two interesting texts on this following um, what the Lord Mayor had to say. And this was more recently on RTE's drive time. One texter said, uh, we've been to Cork. We went last year and the best thing about it was the exit. All right, well, don't bother coming back then. Another one says, I live in Dublin, but I was in Cork last year. I couldn't believe the number of poor, unfortunate homeless who are addicted to narcotics. That's fair enough. We we do know that. But it's not as if Dublin doesn't have the same problem. Mind you, bigger population, bigger problem. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818-104-106. Red FM. And I'll get back to text again in a few minutes' time. Just well, Actually, just one that's uh, kind of not unrelated with all of the carry-on in the city. If you're talking about re- getting really tough on all types of crime, you get free legal aid for the first time you're in court. Full stop. You should not qualify for legal aid again for five years. Once criminals know that they'll have to pay their own legal fees... Uh, then I can almost guarantee you the amount of criminal behaviour would be cut by at least 50%, perhaps 75%. The courthouse is like a revolving door for criminals. We need stronger prison sentences and concurrent sentences are a joke where everything runs together alongside. Um, We need consecutive sentencing. People are out on bail still committing crimes. It's nothing short of a joke. Text 0868104106. It's good to accentuate the positive and uh, last week we were keeping a close eye on Rag Week. In fact, Anthony even, who lives in the model on the college road for many, many years and has been at the brunt end of antisocial behaviour associated with Rag Week. Last week he was saying that it was the quietest he can ever remember. And it's fantastic to see Catherine Clancy saying something similar in, in the echo over the past few days with regards to Rag Week being quieter. And of course there was a big campaign for uh, many years on the south side 
in and around all of the, you know, residential areas around UCC where residents were sick to death of it. And of course, COVID uh, really put it um, on a different level entirely with many, many house parties. But it looks as if that might be a thing of the past because uh, Rag Week was a huge success. And Catherine joins me by phone. Catherine, good morning. Good morning, Neil. So um, this year, the best, the best what, ever or in a long, long time for sure. Absolutely, Neil. And um, I suppose, you know, as you say, for many years as a community, anytime we were on the radio, it was, you know, with concerns we had about antisocial behaviour in the, you know, in our community. So for us, it was the best um, week, really, um, with students and uh, the, the Rag Week event really didn't impinge on us in any way with antisocial behaviour. And I think what it's really down to, Neil, is um, prior to Rag Week, and I suppose we had a bad um, experience with the Christmas jumper event last Christmas as well. So following on from that and with the services now and the supports that have been built up with the residents and particularly Superintendent John DC and the community guards, like they've been fantastic. So prior to Rag Week, um, there was a meeting inside Langsley Street attended by Superintendent John DC and the community guards, also the Students' Union, there's a fantastic students' union in place as well at the moment and they need to be highly committed. And how are they we making such a difference where other students' unions in the past weren't able to get a handle on I it, do you think? think? It's, I think they're very aware that the university is situated right in the middle of a community, you know, an established community that's been built up over four generations. Their postering campaign was excellent. They had an excellent, you know, if we put residents up, you know, respected. It's different when it comes from their own age group and the uh, messages on it were totally appropriate as well like you know um, you know, messages to the students uh, about keeping themselves safe keeping the community safe not to litter, don't th- think of the turtles, don't be overthrown the bins you know like a very successful campaigning but done in a very positive way and again I suppose which didn't happen other years is really highlighting that Rag Week is a charity event like you know in fairness and yeah and apparently charity. they raised nearly 24 yeah. grand and counting yeah. they have a target of 30 mm-hmm. grand and they're hopeful that will be met so absolutely and I hope they do I hope they do because they really you know as I say now you know give a, give a holistic approach really to the event and then we had the publicans at that meeting as well in Langley Street and, uh, and residents uh, representatives as well so we're just all sitting down um, us raising our concerns with publicans, I suppose, around queues taking place um, at prior events outside the pubs early in the morning, particularly when children were going to school, uh, drinking on the streets. And, so was there um, none of that queuing yeah. or drinking on the streets? No, there wasn't. Isn't that well, incredible? I'm not too sure about so much the drinking. They absolutely the queues. If there were, they were very managed and there was no early morning um, queuing outside pubs. The events were brought back into later in the day as well, like to the afternoon. So it really what was was like, you know, when everybody works together, change can happen and for the better. And in the end of the day, what I always say, like, we are very much aware as residents, we share our community with students. We know many of them to salute and we're concerned about them staying safe as well. Mm. So to hear that it was a successful event means that students were safer also, you know, mm. because of antisocial behaviour. If there's antisocial behaviour, it, it can be, people can get fines. But besides that, people can be in danger as well, like, you know, so. And also, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, mm, for the, it's for the welfare of the students, but yeah. also those living, you know, in and around, mm, uh, mm, I mean, your organisation was yeah, the Magazine yeah. Road and surrounding yeah. areas, Residents Association. <laughs> You want a quiet life, yeah. Yeah, well, we just want to enjoy our homes like we always did. And we have a strong community there, like, you know. But what is a big factor as well, um, 
meal that made a difference. You know, as residents, for years we lobbied with UCC to put in place a community support worker. So UCC have done that now. So uh, John Warren was appointed last year, late last year, and that has made a huge difference. Like he's a conduit between the different groups and they're the first university in the, city, in the country to have done that. But like, you know, they listened to our concerns and we're now seeing the actual results of having uh, one person that like can be the go-to as well, you know, because he can talk to the pubs, he can talk yeah. to the students yeah. union and talk to the residents. And we're, uh, you know, going to do some initiatives around, you know, UCC is a green campus and one of the few in the country to be a complete green campus as well. But extending that green campus out into the community area as well and initiatives around students and the community working together in expanding that. Okay. Right, you know, I was listening earlier on there and you were talking about the Lord Mayor and, you know... Have you thought so much Deirdre Ford had to say? Yeah, 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 I saw what she had to say. But, like, I think, you know, people, when we raised the issues around Magazine Road and how we were suffering during COVID, people were saying to us, listen, you're giving your place a bad name. You know, you shouldn't be saying it out loud. But, like, sometimes you have to say it out loud to get attention. And, you know, we feel like we, you know, as a community, we were strong. We came together. We spoke what we were feeling and what was happening, particularly around antisocial behaviour. And in standing up, we got attention. And I think now this yeah. has put us yeah. in a better place. No, I can, I can understand the frustration of residents. Mm-hmm. And indeed, I, I also acknowledge the, the frustration of the UCC Students' Union trying to get a handle mm-hmm. on it. Um, they, they, mm-hmm. they have for a number of years refused to talk to me because they felt that the criticism was mm-hmm. unfair. But I think it had to get that bad for it to get right. At the end of the day, yeah. you had a lot of strings to this bow to pull together yeah. but it was the students yeah. who listened themselves wasn't it they listened Absolutely, and it made all the yeah. difference and I, and I suppose the concern and that's why it's important that there's a community development worker in place as well because the students union you know the president is there and there's a great president there now at the moment Asha but like their term is two years I think so then that changes again so you're very vulnerable to who comes next but if you have a community development worker and okay. standards are set you're hoping that that ethos will continue through okay. to the next student union as okay. well. Without, without putting a downer on it, but the, Deirdre Ford mm. did say that she doesn't feel safe walking the streets of the city mm. at night due to mm. increased assault, sensory social behaviour, drug taking and, and begging and homelessness. She's the mm. first citizen, like, um, do you think she was mm. right to say that? I think it's... What kind of a message has she put out there, for instance? I think it's like us as residents, you know, people were saying we were wrong to say what was happening in our area. You know what I mean? But you sometimes have to say it out loud. Uh, but you, were, you yourself were Lord Mayor, but I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it, it, yeah. it's not great I for think, the image. I think, I think, well, I suppose I have some experience of the North Main Street myself, Neil Wright. And at the moment, we have the vaccine centre on the North Main Street, which is a great asset because it brings people into the city centre. But I have witnessed uh, dealing on the North Main Street, mm. open dealing. Mm. And, you know, and I hope, like, by her, I, I, I agree with her saying it out loud, like, you know, it's what she's been told. And in the end of the day, she's the first citizen and she's representing what the people are saying to her. And I think if, you know, I'm out with uh, the girls last Friday night and we were talking about Deirdre Ford and what she had said and what they're saying to me when we were out last Friday night is that they have seen, since COVID, the city centre has not come back to its vibrancy. And, you know, it needs uh, attention at that level. And, you know, I th- we all love the city centre and we hope to see new businesses coming back in there. I think Mango... So by, there, yeah, by addressing September. it, by talking about it, by, yes. um, you know, yeah. you know yeah. acknowledging there's a problem, that's the first start in making it better. 
Yes. Okay. And okay. sometimes it's hard to say it out loud, but um, I think we have to when, if it's the case. Okay. Catherine, thank you so much for taking the call. Okay. Catherine Clancy, text 0868104106. All the best. Selena, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? Uh, I'm good. Uh, you have two at UCC, is that right? Yeah, um, briefly, I have um, a son in second year and a daughter in first year. Yeah. And um, again, as a parent, I was concerned last year and the year before of the attitude towards alcohol um, and the attitude towards, um, you know, this, this rag week. But this year, briefly, um, both of them, I would do the run in the morning, you know, to drop them before work. I'd, I'd drop them to college mm-hmm. and both of them said... Um, Mom, it's really weird. What happened this year was we got emails and I said, an email? And they said, yeah, about, you know, to respect that it's a normal week as such, that it's lectures and, um, you know, respect attitude to alcohol. And I didn't really comment because I wanted to listen more to their views. Yeah. Um, and I have to say I noticed a difference this year. Um, not saying that my children are out all the time <laughs> drinking alcohol, but yeah. I'm going... You know, there was a huge difference. Even though they laughed at the email, I felt it worked more coming from the college rather than coming from me as a mom or their dad, a parent, you know. I think there was an element they had to think that little bit more. Yeah, I think there could be a lot of truth in that, actually. And and that what wasn't working over the years was the criticism they were getting in media, people calling radio stations, loads of column inches in newspapers, residents complaining. They, there was still a disconnect. Something happened differently this time around, whether it was uh, the students talking to students or the union sending them these emails or indeed all of the postering that was done, the guards coming on board, the publicans coming on board, everybody. For for some reason, they sat up and took notice this year. And I think as well, like we have amazing young adults. We really have amazing young adults, not just in Cork, across the country, across the world, but I think if they're treated... Um, with that little bit respect, I think if they're all branded or all put down, and I think that's what was happening. Of course, it was happening, and I respect the residents, you know, where 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 they were coming from. Of course, I did, but I think sometimes when we speak to young adults more and we let them have that little bit more control, and that we we again say, you know, alcohol is not forbidden, but again, you know, you have to have certain amount of respect for it. I think. Definitely. And I think, you know, UCC need to be congratulated here because they did listen when parents, you know, um, contact them and parents are saying there's only so much we can do and say. So I think it was a great week. I mean, I noticed a huge difference myself and I noticed with my own kids and their friends. I couldn't believe the difference. Like, you know, kids were studying. (laughs) Nobody wants nobody wants their rite of passage or the fact that they are social animals and need to have fun and get out there and let off steam. Um, but it's the manner in which it was impeding on other people. That seems to have been fixed somewhat and hopefully it'll continue. So I suppose hats off to all concerned. You're, and, yeah. and you're too as well because they were part of the solution. So well done. Thanks, all Selena. Take yeah. care. Okay. Text 0868 106. Pick up the phone on 0818 How are we doing for time? Can I just take an ad break? I hope Jer can hold on. Don't go anywhere. Get it off your chest. Text The Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Interesting, isn't it? Former Lord Mayor Catherine Clancy says that the current Lord Mayor, Deirdre Ford, 
was right to say what she said with regards to Cork, not her not feeling safe. In fact, she went on to say there isn't a woman in Ireland that doesn't feel that way, depending on the hour of the day that they are out. So it's very honest and open. Catherine Clancy saying it's only by talking about things or saying things like this that make a big difference at the end of the day. Um, unfortunately, uh, people are out of touch with reality. Asking thugs and scumbags to, say, for instance, give up their knives is living in imagination land. For the love of God, they cannot properly punish the low lives and villains. And now they want to let them, um, you know, build up their resume of 200 or 250 convictions. Anyone caught with a knife on the street should be landed in jail for five years. Unfortunately, we live in a nanny state who feels sorry for these hindrances in our society and they let them do whatever they please. Uh, what has to happen before something is done about the chaos? Love the show as always. That's following up on the earlier text that was talking about free legal aid time and time again. Free legal aid every single time. And a texter was suggesting you should only qualify for legal aid once and then for a period of five years if you're caught again or you're before the courts again, then you have to pay yourself. Uh, that texter was saying you would see criminal behavior drop by at least 50%. You know, we're talking about socializing and uh, people going out and, okay, Rag Week was a tremendous success. And that's great news and a lot of money raised for various Cork charities uh, on that basis. But I did get a text over the weekend saying my daughter and her friends were in town the other night. They're all 18 plus, over 18. So they're of legal age to drink. But no pub would let them in. They had genuine ID, but every single pub they tried said that they either had an over 21 or an over 23 policy. Please, can somebody tell me if 18 is the legal age to drink, how can pubs get away with changing the rules or making them up? It's just nothing short of discrimination. So we actually shared that on Facebook then over the weekend because I know of this lark where it's, uh, you know, oh no, we've over 23s and you're not, you know, it's uh, no like 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, no good. Uh, even though you can le- legally drink at 18. Um, what is the, the reason behind this? Uh, why do people want their kids to grow up so quickly? The years fly by, age is only a number and at 18, they're actually only finding their feet. Encourage them to take their time. Talk to them. We put the work in so that they'll become responsible adults. I was never strict. My son and I are really close. He's 23, outgoing, works hard and is a wonderful person. We need to slow them down. So that's an interesting response that 18 really is not an age to be gone full on pubbing or clubbing or socializing. Just a fast one on this actually. I don't know how much time I've left uh, this side of 11, but Sebastian, good morning. Good morning, how are you? you You have thoughts on this over 23 lark? Um, so at first, uh, years ago, um, you know, you turn 18, you get excited, you can finally drink, you know, and, um, then I never understood myself, um, why pups or, um, clubs do that, you know, 21s or 23s. Yeah. Uh, I don't know who told me that years ago, but it made then perfect sense that it's ma- mainly down to uh, the younger people's uh, behavior. I'm not uh, putting it out there now that they're just being badly parented or something like that. Is it that, that an 18, 19, 20, 21 would be sloppier or messier, is it? Or not being able yeah. to... Yeah, and they'd be, they'd be mixing with people slightly older who'd be fed up, fed up of looking at them being messy and sloppy. Yeah, it's not just that, but it's uh, mainly also because of um, the... Uh, uh, 
reputation. So if you have a club or a certain pub and it picks up reputation because uh, young people often between 18 and 21 visit that and may cause a bit of havoc because they're like partying hard, then older adults, you know, they don't see a reason visiting that place, for example, and that can look at bad reputation. And no, I know all of that. And when do they say... Listen, 18 and 19 year olds really can't handle their drink and they're just not worth the hassle. Um, that is, I think, down to um, education, firstly. And secondly, of course, when they've never drank before, then for the first time when you have alcohol, then the body has to process it, you know. Years ago, for example, I came across a young girl who was uh, saying after two drinks, she, uh, which was, she was definitely underage, she says, somebody spikes my drink, for example, you know, and somebody shouldn't be used to that, you know, especially when it comes to spirits. So, um, when it says, well, it wasn't the case that she was spiked, she was just too young to handle it, is it? Uh, exactly. And um, that's why I think, uh, what, uh, especially when they're turning 16 and so on, for example, in Germany, you can have beer at 16, you know. And I think a healthy start would be to educate young people because when it comes to that, I have a cousin who nearly died twice because his drink was spiked. He was 18. He drank. He'd done the drink races. People see that on TV and they might, you know, like to challenge themselves a drink off or, you know, shot races. He had a heart uh, arrest. He had a cardiac arrest over that because somebody decided to spike the drink. And I see a lot of... Uh, uh, and was that points. proven, incidentally, unfortunately, my... You know, I understand it was, it was a tragedy, but it was proven to have been spiked, was it? It was proven, yeah. It was proven. Doctors uh, got his blood results and they found what was uh, he was spiked with that caused the cardiac arrest. And I just think as well that uh, uh, pups, you know, might take, uh, prefer 21s or 23s because with 23, you are significantly more mature. True, true. And as, as a German living in Cork, do you, well, you know, can you compare our relationship with alcohol and, say, Germany's relationship? Is it very different? Um, I think uh, not too much. I mean, there will always be young people, especially, you know, 13, 14 year olds who might sneak in a drink, you know, at a friend's house. That will never change, I think, uh, unless, you know... But do you think the Irish drink too much? Um... <clears throat> I don't. I think everyone does, to be honest. You know, and not just the Irish. In Germany, there's also just as much alcohol problems. You know, okay. they just approach differently. So that I think that you know they found okay with 16, it's okay to have beer and sparkling wine, but anything that goes above that, 18 plus, and um, a healthy start would be to take your uh, son or daughter and uh, say, look, these are the dangers. This is uh, what you have to look out for. You can have this drink now, but you watch the person and they get to start to understand, okay, this is the limit and they ease into it. Okay. And I might be less inclined then to later on, when they get older, to cause havoc in a pub. Now, people should have okay. fun. Never want that as college, you know, everyone should have their okay. fun. Okay. Um, but I think that um, it has a lot to do with maturity. And um, I think, especially when you hear about uh, people, especially young girls, getting uh, into trouble with, uh, you know, people that, you know, being uh, obsessed or, um, I wouldn't say now going into the extremes now, but being uh, harassed, you know, 
um, it, it just, um, I think pups want to uh, make sure as well that, that I say that... They, they they, they, I understand what you're saying, that they also want to keep younger people safe. You can keep them safe by not letting them in. I get yeah. you. Okay, thanks Sebastian. Back after 11. I'm Rory. And I'm Valerie. And you can join us for the very best in local, national and international sport every weekend on The Big Red Bench. That's The Big Red Bench, every Saturday and Sunday from 6 on Cork's Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM This is the Neil Prenderville Show And if you thought our munchies our Monday munchies with offbeat donuts in the past was great well they've only just gone and upped the game seriously because now we're moving into a different league with five boxes of donuts to give away that's 60 donuts (laughs) 60 (laughs) some serious sugar rushes (laughs) So I hope there's enough of you, if you win it, to share it. So you'll be certainly starting the week on a high uh, and it'll hit the spot, courtesy of ourselves, an offbeat donut, creating circles above, above sessions on a daily basis at their shop and their store on French Church Street. So there'll be random donuts in there. Cookies and cream, uh, caramel crumble, peanut butter cup, chocolate orange, salted caramel pecan and the classic glazed donut amongst others. So 60 in total. So this hour I need you to text and WhatsApp who you are and where you're working and most importantly why you and your workmates deserve to win this Monday morning treat. And then a little later on today the Red Patrollers will deliver not one box, uh, not two, but five boxes and that's 60 donuts in total. So lots to share, uh, not just perhaps in your own business or where you are, but also with other businesses or other colleagues as well. So text and WhatsApp, uh, 0818 Who are you? Where are you working? And why do you deserve it? This Monday, pick me up. Get stuck in. The Neil Prenderville Show on Courts Red FM. Two-time gold winner at the Imro Radio Awards 2022. And you can pick up the phone on 0818 for all of the business. Incidentally, I just, I just read the brief there and it, just, it has the, um, it's got the wrong number on it. So can I just correct that? Uh, you're going to be texting or WhatsApping 0868104106, 0868104106. Not the number I gave out a couple of seconds ago. That's our phone line. So text or WhatsApp only 0868 104106. Um, a lot of texts, but I want to come back to them throughout the course of the, the next hour or so, but I want to get back to the phones as well. Tasha, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Uh, thank you for hopefully giving us some clarity. Uh, this is the original text. My daughter and her friends were in town the other night. They were all 18 plus. No pubs would let them in. They had their proper genuine ID. Nothing fake about them. But every pub they tried said over 21s or over 23s. If 18 is the legal age to drink, how can pubs get away with these rules? Is it not discrimination? Your thoughts? It's not discrimination as such. Like, as I said on the post, under the post, you're basically, sometimes security are given a brief before we start work. Look, lads tonight, lads and ladies even, we're going to have it over 23s tonight. It's, you know, as long as it's up on the door or up in a window close to the door, saying, you know, we're over 23s or over 21s, it's perfectly in the scope of legal. So it could also be a case of, you know, maybe they were, you know, intoxicated or, you know, it could be many a number of things. Um, Mostly times it's up to the establishment of how old they want their patrons to be. 
hang on a second. That, okay, so you, you, you work in the, you work in security and in, in hospitality security, like pubs or clubs, is it? Yeah, yeah, for the best part of five years. Okay. So, so on any particular night, like, are you saying that on a Friday it might be 21s, on a Saturday it might be 23s, and on a Tuesday it might be 18s? So basically, they, Tuesdays and Thursdays were normally college nights, so let's say 18s or 19s, depending on the venue or the establishment. But then the, the week, uh, sorry, the weekends, Friday, Saturday, would tend to be over 21s or over 23s. Um, I suppose in a way as well, like someone said it perfectly underneath the comment section, it, it's basically like not many 23 plus would like to have their drink with, you know, 18-year-olds that are getting, you know, locked, let's say, yeah, and then, yeah, yeah. you know, because... They're, new, they're new to it, like, is what you're saying. Yeah, they're, and they, yeah, kind of yeah, in yeah. the scope of binge drinking as well, you know, let's see how many it takes before I can black out or whatever, or, you know, they're going for the shots, 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 and it's kind of like, you know, they go too hard, whereas I think, like, working people or people over the age of 23 want to go and have a quiet drink or, you know, go out with their friends for a hen night or, you know, something like that. And, like, from my experience, the 18s to, let's say, 22, 23 even, can be that little bit more of a handful rather than, let's say, over 25 to 30. But it sounds to me as if these venues are picking the quiet nights when there's not a whole lot of people out and then allowing younger people in, but they refuse to allow them in on the busier nights when they're not welcome. Surely that's discrimination. Like, as I said, it it can be looked at two ways. Like, Tuesdays and Thursdays, when I was working on the doors, they were always kind of seen as student nights anyway. And that's going back as far as I can remember. So, like, I, I agree, you know, that, there is some like there's some place needed for 18s in the city, you know, to control. But there mightn't be the students. There might be a bunch of friends who are out working for a living. There might be twenty or twenty one or twenty two, and it's a Saturday night. Um, and if every is everybody ID'd now? Yeah, majority. Yeah. like it, you so, know, regulars. Like or somebody might be out for a date. There might be just yeah, a couple, exactly. and they could be twenty two yeah. years old or twenty one. They're not going to college, but they they want to go into the pub or the club and they can't because they're not wanted. Yeah, and I agree. Some, you know, some security are that little bit egotistical and, you know, they just want to say no to as many people as they want instead of being the opposite and being friendly. And, you know, I for one have seen that happen. Whereas, you know, again, I, I would love to be able to say to 18-year-olds and give them a chance until they prove otherwise that they should not be let in. I would love to give them a chance. But again, security aren't the ones that set the limit. Again, it comes from the establishment, the age they want their, you know, customers to be. Okay, you're, you're referencing some of the comments. There was another one that said, no wonder half the pubs are closing down with their attitude. Some 18-year-olds are more polite and mannerly than those that are 21 plus. Let them all in, and if they mess up, at least next time they come to the door, you've a reason not to let them in. But for God's sake, give young people a chance. Oh, I agree with that totally. But again, like I, like I said, I'd love to see somewhere 
18s for you know to give them somewhere to go on a Friday or Saturday night and it's true sometimes they are more polite sometimes but again it's not up to security as such or you know I understand it it, 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 it seems to me that from what I can see is that um, in the past it's been proven that if they're young they can be messy and they're more troubled than they're worth Exactly. And I think that's why people like, you know, managers and such owners decide in advance, look, we're going to have 23s or 21s. And then we're kind of given the guidelines then look, you know, no one's to be left in if they have tracksuits or, you know, trainers or anything like that. So, you know, in, in a way, like, it is kind of harsh on the 18 to 22 bracket, let's say. So that um, that clothing policy, because what? Because they're traipsing around and <laughs> they can't get in anywhere. Yeah, exactly. And the clothing um, policy, are they? is that still, has that been updated in time at all? You still, still kind of tracksuits are a problem and so trainers and I runners think, are a problem? When I would have been starting out, it would have been 2017, I think. We, you know, there was no runners allowed um, under certain circumstances. But now it's, you know, no tracksuits, you know, like all that kind of thing. Like it's still there. And again, it's subject to the establishment. Okay. What about, what about, say, for instance, tattoos? Oh, no, no, no. There would be, you know, there's no kind of discrimination about that or anything. Okay. And what's the problem with the, is somebody in a tracksuit or wearing I mean, I could rock up to the door in a pair of runners that cost 150 euro. Why would alarm bells go out there that I'm going to wreck the joint, is it? Again, I, I don't know. It's just like, you know, those were things I've been given in a brief before we start work. Um, and it, it, like, it would have been in the last two, three years that we've been told no tracksuits um, and any kind of arrogance at the door. No, they're not coming in. Um But you can understand, and I'm not talking about you because I'm quite sure you don't behave this way, but um, Cork bouncers have a bit of a rep, as you probably know, or Cork security personnel on doors. They they tell people who are blood sober that they're drunk, for instance, when they're not. Again, I've seen that myself. And, you know, it's kind of when you have a team on the door, it's normally two or maybe there's an extra person out there because they're floating. And then, you know, this one person you see, they're a bit egotistical and you're kind of looking at them and you're, you're kind of pinpointing exactly who they're going to say no to because they have the name of being a head doorman, what they say go. And I've seen like, I'll call them innocent at this point, people being refused from the door and the minute you question the security then the so-called head doorman it's like oh they gave me grief last week yes when that grief might have actually been caused by that security so it only takes one bad you know kind of egotistical security to give everyone a bad name well there was an influencer on the air some weeks back from america who was refused entry to um uh, a lot of different establishments. He started down on Oliver Plunker Street, did a couple of the uh, side streets and ended up on Washington Street, refused, refused, refused. And all he had drank was water and ate a piece of chicken in his hotel bedroom. And he was very annoyed about that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, again, like, I I think I've seen two people with an ego boost 
when I was working on the doors, we we say, um, and it's it is harsh. It's a harsh reality. But is there again, other quotas? Like, for instance, if you've got too many men in, do they discriminate against men and uh, allow women no. in, or things that are discriminated against bunches or I, groups? I think one thing that I've seen around this you know, the Facebook and Twitter and everything recently was that, and it's going on years, is the fact that men tend to leave women in a lot more than they would leave men in. You know, and they put it down to sexuality, sexuality based. Mm. And I, maybe that could come across like that. But from my experience, a lot of men would come up to the door and, you know, they're asked, you know, how many hands have you had tonight? And, you know, they're avoiding eye contact, you know, they're fidgeting, you know, and you can see that they had a little bit one too many, yeah. you know, it's not that hard to see. And it's, you know, then they're told no and they get rowdy then if they're told no. But I wouldn't say they're discriminating against men and women being left in. I think women sometimes can be that little bit more respectful and pleasant and openly honest. And like when they come up for, you know, asking how many drinks they've had. They say, oh, we were just down the local there. And mm. it, it's not as kind of do you, straightforward with the men. Okay. Do you, yeah. Okay. Do you have much uh, problem with fake IDs? Yeah. Yeah. Can you lot. spot them or are they very good? Normally it's kind of, for myself, would have been kind of one girl had another girl's ID. Like, for example... I had a girl one day, she had passed me for the security check and I had seen another girl in the queue pass her ID back. So they were giving me the same ID for the like two people. So it would have been Anne Murphy coming in twice. And what happened in that case? They were just not left in. Okay. And do you, in the past, there's been a lot of criticism of door staff who are, send, who are taking people who are very drunk out not throwing them out physically now or anything, but certainly taking them off the premises and leaving them out on the street drunk on their own. And that's causing um, a big, big worry with regards to that drunken person's safety. Yeah, so when I was working um, in an establishment in the city, we would always kind of, it would have been priority to get them out with a friend. So if Anne Murphy was, you know, too drunk, we'd call Mary Murphy and be like, look, she needs to leave. We'd rather she leaves with someone she knows or like we don't want to put her into a taxi on her own because God knows where she could end up if she's this drunk. So we always kind of got them out in pairs if needed be. Yeah. Now, if somebody was refused to leave, I'd say, look, you know, she can't be left in here. But you'd always have somebody on the door. But why would you throw? Why would somebody be thrown out because a, co- a club or a pub served them too much alcohol? That's the responsibility of the establishment. Yeah. But it's very easy, you know, to stop serving somebody after a certain point. But it's also very easy for that person to get someone else to get a drink, especially if they're in their group. So it's at our point then we either give them a warning and say, look, you know, she's had too much to drink by all means, go buy her a coffee or go get her a water, but no more alcohol under the roof. No, that's fine, and but I'm, I'm suggesting maybe there should be a quiet area where somebody who's really yeah. 
Sometimes there is. It depends all on the venue and, you know, if they have anywhere to put them. Like, you know, you're not going to put them in the office if there's no one in the office. Or, so basically where I worked, we had like a little storeroom and that's where we had one security then stand with them until they felt, you know, either well enough to make the decision to go home and say, yeah, I've had enough or, you know, what, get me a glass of water or a cup of coffee and then I'll go back and okay. see how I am. Okay. Have you, just finally, I know I asked you an awful lot more questions than you ever intended to answer, and my apologies for that, but you've, you've, been, you've been great. Thank you for answering everything. Have you ever been at, do you ever feel at risk on the door? Yeah, as a, as a woman, yeah. And, like, again, I've, you know, worked with some great friends, and, um, you know, I've always had somebody around, and it's not that a female is less, you know, you know, protective of themselves. It's just more so for safety than anything else because I've had my fair share of abuse on the door. And, you know, and actually, like I said, you know, there's quite a stigma around women on the door. They shouldn't be on the door. You know, it's not safe. Or, But women can talk down a situation, I find, a lot more than a man. Because mm. if it's a man-to-man, you know, if it's an alpha, you're like, he's mm. not going to back down, whereas mm. a woman can come in and kind of, you know, reduce that situation a little bit more mm. than another man because men can get rowdy as well, mm. you know. So I just feel like it's always good to have a balance between male and female on the door. Okay. And I've been discriminated by managers and told, you know what, you're not going to work the busy nights because it's nowhere for a female and you know, a female shouldn't be working on these nights, especially Paddy's night, you know. So I think there's still a bit of a stigma going on around in in regards to females working the door mm. from management and patrons. But you, did you ever get so, a dig? I mean, has it always been verbal abuse? Yeah, like I, I had one kind of not so long ago grab me and, you know, I've just said, look, you know, you need to leave and... I was told my management, I'll leave him there, he's fine. Even though he laid hands upon you? He grabbed me, yeah, yeah. Um, So that's kind of something that women are faced with in the industry. That's wrong. That's all wrong. That's all wrong. Look after yourself. Stay safe. Thanks for taking the call, Tasha. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Bye, after the break, text 0868-104-106. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818-104-106. Red FM. Pubs reserve the right to refuse admission, making it an age thing. Stops people saying that it was, say, on the basis of gender, social background, etc. Uh, most pubs or clubs are over 21s or over 23s now, which is all wrong when the legal age to drink is 18. Uh, one final one, it's ridiculous. If it's legal at 18 to purchase and drink alcohol, then nobody should be denied entry. Uh, if it's a Saturday night in Cork City, practically everywhere is going to be 21's minimal. Uh, they just have to wait their turn like the rest of us had to. 18-year-olds get very messy in fairness. So there's those and lots more besides, and I'll come back to more of those texts throughout the course of the morning. And if not today, tomorrow. I was talking also about uh, suspended sentencing earlier on, um, constantly being able to qualify for free legal aid again and again. Many people are annoyed about that. And one quick one then, community service. It's nothing short of a joke. Half the time, the people going there just get their forms stamped and they go off home. I know a fellow who got sent home and had 10 hours completed stamped. 
Uh, and this is happening wholesale, says one texter with regards to community welfare. Okay, don't forget, lads, you need to text 086-8104-106 because it is the Monday Munchies, courtesy of ourselves and Offbeat Donuts. And they really have raised the game because now it's 60 donuts, five boxes of donuts to a business on Side every Monday morning. So you need to text who you are and where you are. And most importantly, why you deserve to start the week with a box of donuts, five boxes of donuts, I should say. So text 0868104106. We'll do those shout outs just before midday. But uh, I was mad keen uh, to catch up with Marie, Marie Coleman, uh, because a photograph in front of me here where she was in the Echo there on Friday, literally standing, surrounded by, uh, I don't know what the right term is, bales and bales of concrete blocks. And she's right in the middle of recently laid foundations uh, for a house that she's building um, by direct labour, much of it, I imagine, also being done by herself. It's an incredible story, and it would be great to keep an eye on it as she builds her dream home. And she joins me by phone. Marie, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm good. So, <laughs> so that <laughs> photograph we're looking at, you and your wellies and all your construction duds, the I know. foundations have just been laid and you're surrounded by blocks and bricks and all sorts of things. Do you know what you're yeah. doing? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good start anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Completely bluffing it. Uh, no. Um, here, look, I love getting stuck in and being involved, but at the same time, I wouldn't uh, trust myself to lay a block, you know. <laughs> but give me a brush, uh, give me a rake, I'll be able to do all of that kind of stuff. What, what's, the, what's the idea behind this? You have, you ha- you have the site, you're working in Cork Builders Providers, so you yeah. must know an awful lot more than an average Joe. Well, I'm not going to lie. When I started first, I was going in completely not having a clue. Um, I'm in Corporal's 12 years, like, and I still, you know, I was thinking I should know more. But I'm after surprising myself a year later how much I actually did know. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, like, as well, the layers that go, inv- go into the build before you even lay a block is unbelievable. I never realised that, uh, you know, that I had to f- put so much stone in the bottom, then, you know, the steel, it's just mad. All mad. that goes into foundations so the house doesn't yeah, fall down. before you even see a block, like, exactly, yeah, but, you know, <laughs> I kind started of important in September. The foundations, like, isn't it? Very important. <laughs> 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 but as well, going, going back to the page, I never knew that this was going to take off like it has done. I just kind of wanted to document the whole thing so that I can look back and see the stages. And, like, the feedback I'm after getting and the people that want to help me you know it's like the good good well wishes it's just so lovely like okay, it really so is. it's a 1700 square foot three bedroom yeah. w- at least it will be when it's built why exactly. why did you decide to do it because I guess you're you're employing people by direct labor for the different things that yeah. need specialists but why why do this isn't it like so, it- um basically when I was going for my mortgage I you know a good few years ago now this was kind of before COVID I realized fairly soon like that I wouldn't have a hope of buying a house by myself because obviously the mortgage they were going to give me wasn't going to match any price of the house, house yeah. that it is there now you know yeah. now I take my hat off to anyone that can do that so I'm on a different um, thing so then basically we said at home let's try and get planning at home um, that was a year ago and here I am a year later so like I'm 35 Neil you know what I mean um, I kind of wanted to Get, it get out there. Yeah. 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 Um, and I think COVID helped me then as well because my social life just came to a halt. So I was able to save a lot more. <laughs> so how does it like? How does it work? Do you employed somebody initially to dig out? Well, certainly you had to draw up plans or something, didn't you? Yeah. So I had someone draw up the plans. Um, then he helped me to go through the planning process. Yeah. 
Then we had um, someone to, you know, put down the foundation. Um, so that was the next person I had to get. Then I had to get prices for the block layers. So then that was the next thing that I sorted out. Um, I know, right, there's barely a block and I have to organise the roofer. I am just thinking, you have to you basically you have to be, I'm after learning, you have to be three months ahead of all of this. Like You have to be a lot of steps ahead with regards yeah, to what trade so, is moving in next. Exactly. Like, so the plumber, I had the plumber in the meantime as well. Um, he fitted the underfloor heating, so I had to do that Very before the final posh. floor was underfloor. laid. It's a triple A house, I assume, is it? Yeah. Or, yeah, an A-rated house. Basically, I don't know about AAA now. <laughs> AAA. I, don't, I don't even think <laughs> it AAA. will be by, by the time it's finished. <laughs> Listen, knowing me, there's no such thing as AAA. A rated. At least that's at least that's what you I hope like, it will be. I like be. that though. AAA. It's a AAA house. <laughs> uh, so you wouldn't want to lay the foundations and then find out. Oh my God, we forgot to put down the plumbing and the pipes. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be in serious trouble then. <laughs> oh, so what's I mean? There you are. What are you? What are you doing with the bloody brush anyway? Are you brushing off oh, water I, or something? I, yeah, it was well done. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to have the place like cleaned and ready to go for the block layer. Like so, he was doing the the first uh, stage of the foundations. So the the blocks had to go up about seven courses before um, I was able to put the concrete in. So, like, it's serious amount of uh, layers. Like. And where are you at now? I mean, is are there a few walls so, showing? Yeah, like the corners of the wall. They've just kind of put up an update there on the, the Instagram page yesterday. So, he's got a few, um, the back wall, a little bit of the back wall done. He actually texted me on Friday going, uh, what time are the, the windowsills arriving? And I said, oh, yeah, they should be on the way there. Hadn't them ordered at all. <laughs> <laughs> so I you went... Forgot, you forgot them. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I know we don't do windowsills, but in fairness, I would be lost without Corp Builders. Like, I mean, they are just... They're like my family as well, you know what I mean? So you're I made probably getting, You're probably sorted. getting trade as well, are you? You probably are. Good, good enough prices, <laughs> yeah. But like in general, they, they are brilliant and uh, I would be lost without their Are house, you getting like. a lot of slagging at work? Yeah. <laughs> Big time. <laughs> of course, they would be like they're giving me an awful time saying, "Oh, it looks like you're building the house yourself." Like, and I was like, I "But no I idea. definitely didn't." I no never ever insinuated once that I was like, building or laying a block. You know what I mean? Well, well, the Echo headline says you're you're. I know. Marie flies solo as she builds her own home. But well, I no, agree. I mean, but you are though. I mean, you really and truly are. I mean, you're not an well, electrician, so you have to get one. I mean, what are yeah. the tra- what are the trades anyway? Because certainly the plumber. The electrician, Plumber. the glaziers, the carpenters, the plasterers, the painters. Yeah. The ca- yeah. Like, are you having trouble getting the trades? I haven't got to that stage where I've been caught yet, so I'm touch wood. Everything is going to plan, kind of. But I have to say kind of, because, you know, I, I thought I'd have the foundations laid before Christmas, and the weather hit, like the cold weather, so we couldn't do anything, because they will say the blocks couldn't be laid because... Uh, it wouldn't set basically because it'd be too cold. <laughs> so, but you know what, Neil? The end of January for that, I wasn't too bad. You know, four weeks later, and the foundations were poured. So I'm doing quite well. Oh, like, but will it come in on budget? They never do. Like, probably not. I, do you know what? What'll happen to me at the end now is, um, as I was saying to your colleague, I'll end up probably fitting floors. <laughs> For the end of it, <laughs> I'll be getting stuck in more myself, you know what I mean? But look, it'll all work out. If I could get my kitchen and my TV room and a bedroom up to, you know, standard, I'm happy enough. And <laughs> get, then and then work on the other room. Get the roof on, you'll be happy enough. 
And another thing, Neil, as well, I'm, I'm half thinking of changing the Instagram page to self-build by Marie and Dad because, like, my parents as well. I'd be lost without my family, like, and my sister. Oh, man. So I have to say that as well, you know what I mean? As in, I don't want to be thinking, anyone thinking that I'm really doing everything, you know, without any help. Like, I, know, and I wouldn't fairness, do. I wouldn't be able to do it without help. But a positive story, you know, it can be done and I want to keep, you know, keep it going so what would it be like quarter of a million do you think or less or, or what oh yeah I'm hoping to build it under that yeah that would be ideal quarter of a million and it'll be um, an amazing achievement though that you'll literally be sitting yeah. on something that you are 100% I mean okay you've got the trades helping you with it but it was your idea uh, you know yeah. your plan your design uh, and you oversaw the whole thing yeah <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to take too much. Um, you know, I didn't expect it to be on the echo and stuff. Like I'm just kind of like, I'm shocked, being honest. But I'm still. I'm excited. And um, you're not I, give, yeah, like thought, you're not giving out the. Ian. You're not giving what. But no, I, I'm proud of myself. Yeah, and so you should be. You're not I giving out am. the air code so people can go do drive-bys or. Keep an eye no, on the no, definitely not. No. <laughs> I won't be, no. It's just that that won't be happening. It's somewhere out by the viaduct, is it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> They'll notice it anyway when the walls start to climb and the roof goes on it and everything else like that. Yeah, I, you, I, I'll see how we get on now by the end of the year. I might do an open house. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have the last laugh with your underfloor heating. Oh, uh, yeah, uh, I'm looking forward. I, I'm really excited about that now, but I suppose like a lot of new houses now, that's the way it goes, you know? Oh, you sure. kind of go Listen, with the underfloor heating. Chalk it down. I know, throw yeah. a few solar panels on the roof, why don't you? <laughs> yeah, it's, it, do you know what? There's PV panels out now. So that's the new up-and-coming thing. I'd say you'd be nearly running your ESP through it, you know? Oh my and we God. sell them here, actually. So yeah, you're, getting, you're getting all the best technology in then, as time goes by. Oh, I'm, I will, yeah. Look, as, as I said to my dad, I'll, I'll only do this once. I might as well put the money in now, and hopefully in the long run it'll... Um, I'll save money. I need you know to stay I'm in saying? touch with you every few weeks to see how things oh, are going. Go. I mean that sincerely now, though. I really do. Oh, thanks, Neil. And, and, uh, thanks, and let us know when the house warming is. You'll have the kettle on, <laughs> like, yeah? I'm saying December, but that could be December any year. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But I'd love it, December. But look, we'll, we'll just drive on and keep going the best we can anyway. All right. Well, you're at spring now, and hopefully the weather, and the weather has been kind enough in recent weeks. So drive on with it, and people can follow you, follow you at, at selfbuild underscore at self build underscore Marie isn't it yeah uh, self build by, by Marie underscore Marie yeah listen good luck yeah, with so it and mind thanks yourself thanks a million lovely talking to you and you too we'll stay in touch do stay in touch I really mean it it'll be good to, okay. great to get updates as you go along cheers I will you're not, you're not you. stuck for anything you're not looking for a tradesman or a tradeswoman or what is it now a tradesperson yeah Trade them. <laughs> Trade them. <laughs> okay, well, well, if there are any emergencies where you're looking for someone to do something, get back and we'll give it a shout out. For uh, you, right? No, I'm all good, Neil. Thanks a million for right, every everyone as well. Thanks for their help. Take care. Take care. Take Cheers. care. We'll bye, stay bye, in bye. touch as the build continues uh, to grow and goes from, well, it's not going to go anywhere above uh, first floor because it's a, a bungalow, as the fellow says. But anyway, follow yourself directly at self build by underscore Marie. Back after the break. The Neil Brenderville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 0818-104-106. Okay, and uh, let me just do some shout-outs for our Monday munchies. We really upped the game, or at least uh, it's fair to say that Offbeat Donuts have 60 donuts. That's five boxes every single Monday morning. So keep those texts coming. Irish Express Cargoes would love to welcome their new boss to the office with the boxes of donuts. Elaine works in 
and Douglas in Douglas Law Solicitors. There's nine of us. We could do with a donut to cheer us up on a Monday. Uh, one or two more here. Avis and Budget at Cork Airport are looking for an energy buzz. I think we deserve the donuts as we have a very kind and hardworking staff who are back today after the midterm, says uh, Kelsey uh, for everybody at Ursuline Secondary School in Blackrock. Working in the food flavours plant in PepsiCo, Little Island. We deserve it today. It's our first, it's day one of our canteen renovations. So for break time, we're making do with the meeting rooms and only have the microwave the kettle and the fridge space. It would be a nice treat for the team. Specsavers in Mallow, helping the people in North Cork. Donuts for the staff at Inishmore Family Centre. Uh, one or two more. Adapted in Black Rock. They keep Cork connected, maintaining IT infrastructures across the city and county. They're an important bunch of people. Adapted in Black Rock, keeping us all online. The nurses in the St. Patrick's Ward. My mum is there and has been quite ill for the past two weeks. They're angels and the hospitals get a lot of bad press, but the staff are amazing. And that's from a grateful child who trusts my most precious mum to the nurses, says Reginiana in Middleton. Our Lady of Good Counsel Special School in Ballancolic has the greatest group of hardworking teachers, special needs assistants, bus drivers, escorts, maintenance staff. They have a lot of them. All wonderful people. And there's a great mood there. And the donuts for everyone be a special treat for all of the staff. So that's just a selection. We'll do another few shout-outs this side of midday and then Offbeat Donuts uh, will give us five boxes. Now that's 60 donuts, courtesy of ourselves. And offbeat donuts on French Church Street. Um, I know we started the prank. You can text 0868104106 for that. Uh, just um, with regards to the other texts and emails, I'll come back to them in the morning. But I did start talking about the fatal shooting, the killing of the Cork born Bishop David O'Connell in Los Angeles. He was born and grew up in Glanmire. And uh, Barry Roach told us the entire story regarding his life and, unfortunately, his sad and tragic death. Now, investigations are ongoing. But David O'Connell has a just a... Uh, sorry, um, my apologies, I should say. Greg has a lovely story with regards to the late David O'Connell when he was here in Cork, apparently, and brought over a lot of people from, from Los Angeles. It's a beautiful story. Greg, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Nice to talk to you. It's such a lovely story. Please do share. You met him and others with him. When? Yeah, Neil, this was about, um, I would say, about four years ago. Uh, I would say the man was about 65 at the time. I don't know, was it a retirement time or whatever the case might be, but uh, we were playing in the Oliver Plunkett at the time. We are a folk band, and um, we got a call from the manager there and said that there was a couple of Yanks coming home, and would we entertain him in the distillery in Middleton? Right. Um, so no bother at all we said we would and we, off we went down there and it turned out to be uh, Davis actually you know he was the bishop at the time you know and um, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't know he was the bishop Neil because uh, he was in jeans civvies you know and things like that and the nicest guy you could meet you and know? who was nice with guy. him do you think who were they were they parishioners or um, people from his community or yeah. what they were they were all LA because um, we spoke to, we spoke to them all um, we we came in and we set up our gear they were actually having a, a meal at the time and when the meal was over and done with we we kind of they they kind of mingled with us and vice versa and um, before we even started and um, they informed us that you know they all spoke highly of him you know that what kind of what, what a guy he was 
in the parish that they came from in LA, you know. And when the band um, struck up, when Mason's Apron started playing, incidentally, I know your trad group there, your super, your super yeah. musicians, brilliant. You really, you Thank really you. get the crowd going. One of the best I've seen. What was the reaction Thank from you. the bishop? He, I, I tell you what, Neil, he was he was the first out to be dancing, you know, um, <laughs> because uh, now I know there was a couple of drops of whiskey around, as as you would in the distillery down there, but. Um, he, he was asked to go up and sing a song and no bother to him at all. Up he came. There was no second asking. Up he came and off, off he went, you know. What did he say? Um, now, I, I think, if my memory serves me right, I think it was Skibbereen, Neil. Now, uh, you As know, in Revenge there, for Skibbereen, is it? Yes, yes. I think it was that, Famine you know. song. Um, so, like, all, all the Americans that he had with him... Um, there was also all family members. I'd say there was about maybe 20 family members as well that came to meet him on the night and they came from all over. Uh, um, maybe amazing. some, they're, they're, they're probably listening in here now, Neil. You know, they, they'll have more info on that. But 50 or 60 yeah, of them, I'm told, fair, in total. Yeah. yeah. yeah and was, was he was taking scattering. requests from the Yanks then? Was he for other songs? He was, Neil, and of course, one of their other songs then, they, I, you see, what it was, that there was a bus tour of them, you know, and um, they, were, they were all over Ireland that particular time when, when we were with them, and I would say it was uh, Galway, they were after visiting, and they were mad for the Galway Gallery. Did you know? he that sing that? One of the I mean, he, did he, he, he knew his he, stuff. He, he, he tried to sing it. But then he said, I sure I don't know. He, he, he definitely had the kind of cork USA accent. You know, you could hear the brogue coming out. You oh, know, and, for God's um, sake. That's a great But story. then he had other people come up and they sang. I sure Neil just, you and know. How did I you feel we, when you we, heard that he had been killed? God, Neil, I, I was at home and a brother of mine, uh, Gary, he rang me and he said, he said, um, he said, do you remember four years ago when we did some entertainment in the... Uh, distillery. In the distillery. I said, I do, yeah. I said, he said, do you remember the chap that we were doing? I said, the bishop. I said, the man in the civvies. I said, I do. He said, he's, he's, the, he's the guy, he said, that's after being shot, he said. I couldn't believe it, Neil. Unbelievable. I just couldn't. Sounds he if he was, loved life. Ah, oh, God, this... This guy, like, as I say, Neil, he was like one of the lads that you'd go out and have a few pints with. And then to find out that he was a bishop at the time, you know, and we couldn't get over it, you know. Just and it is awful it. news, but that's a beautiful tribute that you paid this morning. Yeah. And like, I and couldn't have wished for a nicer just, tribute. Yeah, it was brilliant. And, and I tell you, Neil, one of, one of the things... Um, you see, they were doing samples on the night as well. You know, I think down there they have some kind of a, a system going where you do samples of the different whiskies that the distillery do. Yeah. And um, now it was for all the people that were there dining and, and all that. And of course, one of our lads actually thought it was, he was part of the system as well. And he started having a few tipples as well. And uh, one of the senior staff came out and said, excuse me, back off, you know. <laughs> and seeing that, David... Right, he actually seen that right, and as we were playing away on stage and things like that, when we were playing away, he came up with a tray of whiskey meal and he planted it in front of us, and he said, "There you go, lad." It must be a great talent me. to be able to play music drunk. I I couldn't do it. I just couldn't. I think I <laughs> no. probably could, but I couldn't. 
Now, I can't say we were drunk, no, Neil, but it was, it was a very I nice know, gesture. I know. You know, you know what I'm <laughs> saying. You know, the old muscle memory kicks I in. I do, exactly. Uh, listen, it's a beautiful so, story. It's a great tribute, and thank you for yeah, it. Yeah, so that was brilliant, Neil. You know, that was brilliant. Actually, Neil, I often entertain you. You were often down around uh, Glen Bay and things like uh, that listen, as well. You I know, recommend I anybody, say. if they ever see a sign on a pub or a club or a Shebeen or anywhere at all, as Mason's yeah. apron yeah. playing tonight, yeah. go into that gig. <laughs> well done, Neil. Well done. We, we, we might see you on Paddy's Day, Neil. You you're not, you're not looking, you're not like looking that, for you know? a bad Ellen pipe player, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, we, let, let's give that a skip for the All moment, right, Neil. But I heard you coming... I, I heard you're coming on quite well, though. Slow, oh, slowly but surely. I'm getting there, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah I, I, I was wondering why a lot of people go in to hear you with earmuffs on, but that's another Good story, luck. you know what I mean? Well done. <laughs> Lovely tribute, Greg. Look after yourself. Okay, Neil. Have Thanks a nice great summer. Have a great summer when you're gigging all over the place as you do. Mason's apron. Um, very sad, but a lovely tribute nonetheless to the late Bishop David O'Connell from Glanmire. The last bit of business, most definitely, and then I need to pick a winner from Monday Munchies. So, Claire, if you can get me sorted for a winner, there we'll get all of these donuts delivered. Five boxes of them, 60 in total to offbeat donuts. Just a, a little bit of a dig out for Pam, the taxi driver. When we spoke last, you were putting together an awful lot of aid for earthquake victims in Turkey. Isn't that right, Pam? That's correct, Neil. Morning, Joe. How are you doing? I'm good. And I think you've got some like 70 boxes now of what? Well, we got a lot of stuff out already now. There was fan loads went from Cork to Dublin, Dublin Embassy. And as you can imagine, Dublin Embassy, the Turkish Embassy in Dublin, would have taken stuff from all over the country, yeah. not just from Cork. So they're full now. But we had uh, a van went up there this morning and he was turned away. Um, so we're in a dilemma. They don't so want any more up. aid? Is that what you're saying? No. Well, what they're saying, no, see, Neil, this is it. They, they need the aid out there, but there's nowhere to store it at the moment because Turkish embassies, containers, or whatever way they were storing it is full. Such was the generosity of Irish people, I suppose. Yes, correct, which we can't understand because it shouldn't be getting stored because their flights going out every single day sometimes, twice a day except for Thursday, so the stuff should be going out in the cargo. So what have we got, 70 boxes of clothes, toys, no. baby food, toiletries, blankets, everything like that, is it? Every single thing that was on the list and more. And what are you looking for have, now? You're looking for. Somewhere? I'm 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 begging somebody to say if somebody is going out like they did organise for when there was war, for the war in Ukraine. Is there anybody going out there with a cargo? Is there anybody with a container that would store them for us till the Turkish embassy would be able to, to get rid of their backlog and then we could continue on because this is going to go on for a long, long, long t- time, Neil. I'm sure you're all aware there's 40, 45, 46,000. My husband was right. He said he's, you're looking at figures of 60. You said that. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. I remember and when we chatted, right. it was about 25,000. Yeah. It's double that now. It's dead. It's 45, yeah. yeah. So, it, so this is going to go on for a long, long time. And I can just say, and I'm speaking for, on behalf of my husband's family and people of Hatay in the area where they are, which is Hazan, they have nothing. Okay, okay. And we're so, just looking for somebody. Is there somebody organising without us knowing that's going to go out with cargo and going straight to Turkey themselves is there somebody that has a container that's willing to let us store them Neil you want to see the stuff alone I'm just speaking for one 
chemists. You want to get, chemists, yeah, yeah. There's eight boxes full of nappies, bills, and they need them. They do. And wouldn't it be great if we could help getting that sorted so that they're ready to go, somebody's already planning a trip yeah. and has space to take your... Yeah, um, even if they took a little bit of it, okay. we'd be on our knees to them because they've been stored in houses. And you can understand it. People don't have room, you know. We don't have room. So all and of them I are in Cork them now at the moment. All yeah. of what we're talking... Okay, okay. We've no problems collecting them and dropping them to the area in Cork or even for the sake of it, Dublin. We can even organise that. But we don't want to see this stuff wasted. Okay, so let's get the shout out out there and also let's share it at midday on our own social media platforms to say this is available. It needs to get there. If anybody's already got a shipment going, take this as well and let's see what or happens. Okay. You know, that they could let us store them in. And just the last thing, a uh, uh, hundred million thank you to everybody in Cork on my knees. I really, really much okay, appreciate okay, it. Okay. And just to tell them, they can stop for the meantime till for till going forward just for the meantime if they just stop donating items at the moment they're more please continue on donating online fundraisers and all of that okay. but just stop donating items at, for the moment okay stay on hold now Pam because I know the lads want to get details so we can get this done properly and help to hopefully rectify the problem and come up with a solution so stay on hold there uh, yes I did see somebody texting me about a German military plane flying low over Cork we checked with Cork airport Barry Holland at the airport has confirmed there is a German military plane plane here doing exercises not quite sure what that involves but it's not landing or anything like that but it is over the city or it was a little while ago Monday munchies lads I don't have any more time let me just say that we have 60 donuts five boxes of them uh, and we're sending them to Our Lady of Good Counsel Special School and Balancholic the greatest group of hardworking teachers special needs assistants bus drivers escorts and maintenance staff all wonderful people who go who go about their day in a light hearted happy mood helping to make life as good as possible for all the special students who attend the school donuts for everyone would be such a great treat for all of the staff and I think also the users of the service because there's plenty of them. 60 donuts, so enjoy. They'll be on the way in the next hour or two, courtesy of ourselves, and offbeat donuts and red patrollers will deliver them. Our lines will stay open for all of the business. You can text 0868104106, email neil at redfm.ie. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.